Are you searching for the best in online black radio? Then go to blacktalkradionetwork.com, helping you filter through the noise. Real talk, black talk. The internet is full of half-truths and all-out lies. We've all seen them, and many people on social media complaining about it. Here's your chance to show and prove. WorldAfropedia.com is a black-owned and operated encyclopedia. There are several thousand articles, but we need help. We can't uncover all the truth ourselves. So please, join us and become a writer, editor, or blogger for WorldAfropedia.com today. Every little bit counts. We owe it to the future generations to put the truth out there. Visit worldafropedia.com, the African-centered encyclopedia, a global database of African knowledge for the purpose of bringing about global African wisdom and understanding. Worldafropedia.com. All these musicians have something in common. Whitney Houston, Notorious B.I.G., Bruce Springsteen, Santana, Earth, Wind, and Fire. You can throw in Barry Manilow, Miles Davis, Aretha Franklin, Patti Smith. Their careers were all advanced or shaped by one man, a Harvard Law graduate from Brooklyn named Clive Davis. He was the president of Columbia Records, who went on to start Arista Records. And at 85, he's the subject of a documentary on Apple Music called Clive Davis, The Soundtrack of Our Lives. Davis told me that he had zero music experience when he went from being the lawyer for Columbia Records to being its president. I had no connection with music whatsoever. And it was only after I was head of the company for about a year, I found myself at the Monterey Pop Festival in the presence of Janis Joplin and Big Brother and the Holding Company. (laughs) And that was my epiphany. That was my first signing. And I started trusting my instinct after that which led to Blood, Sweat, and Tears and Chicago, Aerosmith, etc. And when you're at the Monterey Pop Festival, you're the suit in the audience. You, you, you're the guy out of place. I wasn't the suit. I was khaki pants with a tennis sweater. <laughs> yeah, I was the odd man out in that audience, that's for sure. And what was it that you heard in, uh, well, say, in Janis Joplin that right away made you feel, I, I've got to sign this, this woman? She was riveting, compelling, killer voice that just vibrated through you and sent shivers up your spine. The documentary uh, depicts your 
intervening in, in, in the careers of a number of artists. First of all, hearing the future success in what they're doing and then making some adjustment to make that success come faster. How, how do you describe what it is uh, that you hear in a performer that says to you, this one, as opposed to that one, could be a, a, a real success? You know, it's different if you're a writer. It's different when you're signing a Bruce Springsteen or an Alicia Keys than it is when you're signing a performer or Whitney Houston or feeling that Aretha or Dionne Warwick could still be major stars for many years to come. You're looking basically for headliners. You're looking for those that will lift an audience out of the seat. The artist who occupies the most time in, in the film about your career is Whitney Houston, a spectacular success story, a catastrophic end to that story. What was your relationship with Whitney Houston? My relationship with Whitney is that I signed her when she was in her teens. We bonded to the point that her management insisted that I give them a key man clause that I had never given any other artists before or since, which meant that if any time I would leave the company, she would have the right to leave. And so we had a very close, creative relationship. I was with her just two days before her death. When she was, when her drug problem became so serious and ultimately uh, fatal, was it hard for you to see because you were so close to her? Do you think you were perhaps trying not to see it? Uh, I, I think the film points out that I initially I did not see it up close because Whitney would, before she saw me, be dressed great, look great, be on top of her game. But when I saw the problem, it shows the letter that I wrote to her and goes into detail of the efforts to really get her to confront her addiction. And when she did that Oprah interview, we all thought that she had beat the problem, but obviously she did not. You are currently the chief creative officer of Sony Entertainment, but I, I'm curious if you uh, listen to some music this evening that had nothing to do with work, that was entirely for pleasure, what would you listen to? I wish I had that opportunity, because every week I bring home the new records as they break through to study why they are hits, to study why radio is playing it, what radio is not playing, to make sure I don't come with self-confidence. I don't want to go over the hill, and so I keep my ear very, very current every week. Clive Davis, thanks for talking with us. Uh, I appreciate your interest. Thank you. Well, we've heard from Clive Davis. Uh, he's the subject of the new documentary from Apple Music called Clive Davis, The Soundtrack of Our Lives. I ain't felt the pressure in a little while. It's going to take some getting used to. Floating all through the city with the windows down, putting on like I used to. They never told me when you get the crown. It's going to take some getting used to. New friends all in their old feelings now. They don't love you like they used to, man. So, you know, Drake is in the news for all the wrong reasons this week, I think, because obviously Drake... Maybe Canada is not maybe. I think it's pretty clear right now at the moment that Drake is 
Canada's number one international arts export. And uh, the rapper should be in the news because of his art. But because Drake is black, that is impossible. At some point, people have to remember and realize that Drake is black and then start doing to him the things that they do to all of us as black people. What am I talking about in this case? Well, very recently, um, a friend of Drake's was murdered. And the response to that, interestingly enough, in the media has not necessarily been about offering condolences for the loss of a friend, but it's actually really been about asking, well, what does Drake know about this? Is Drake doing enough to bring the murderers of his own friend to account, to justice? And uh, I find this troubling, although not surprising. There's a story in the Toronto Star by Betsy Powell where she cites senior police officials who are privately upset that Drake is not saying more about his friend's death and not telling people who may have information to come forward. There's a weird implied suggestion that Drake knows something about this, even though there's never been any information to suggest that he does. So people keep dancing around it and saying, well, he should be, he should be helping more. He should be doing more. And of course, this is not the first time that this happened to Drake. Um, he hosted a party at Music Night Club a couple years ago. There was a shooting after the party. And uh, Crime Stoppers at that time was urging Drake publicly to do something to help. They called him out by name. Now, in this Betsy Powell story, uh, Detective Sergeant Gary Giroux is quoted as kind of really showing his hand here because he says the following. I certainly would encourage him, meaning Drake, through his tweets to encourage anybody within the community to come forward with regards to any information they, they may have to assist uh, in solving his friend's murder. When Drake didn't do that, that same Detective Sergeant Gary Giroux followed up with the Toronto Star and he said, quote, I would hope if Drake was a real and true friend that he would encourage anyone with information that pertains to the murder of a close friend to share that information with the police with a mind to protecting the community and bring justice to the deceased's family, unquote. So that's a police sergeant suggesting that Drake doesn't care enough about his friend to talk to the police. Again, no suggestion that Drake has some kind of specific information or knowledge about this murder of his friend, but an insistence that he needs to say something that he's not saying. Now, Meritori got in on this action as well. Uh, he, he was quoted in this Toronto Star story, but uh, he was also here on News Talk 1010 this week with... Uh, Jay Michaels and Ryan Doyle on The Rush, and they asked him about this, and I want you to hear a part of what John Tory said about whether or not Drake needs to do more to help his friend's murder be solved. I think one of the things we do that's a bit unfair is kind of single Drake out. I think it's the responsibility of every citizen, without exception, including Drake, including me, including you guys, that if there's any piece of information they possibly could have that could help us in the, uh, you know, in the investigation into the death of any other citizen, they should come forward. And so I said that at the time when I was asked about Drake, and it, it then degenerates in a way into a discussion about Drake and, you know, whether because he's a famous musician, he's being given, you know, special attention in a negative way. And I'd say no. I mean, I'd say that to any citizen whatsoever that had any information it is your duty to come forward. 
Okay, so there's Mayor Tory saying it's any citizen's duty to come forward and that he actually thinks that it's unfair for Drake to be singled out for information about the death of his friend, Anthony Soros. So there's a couple of things about this because, number one, I don't think John Tory understands the criticism. The criticism is not that Drake is being singled out because he's famous. Lots of famous people have friends around them die, and they're not asked to be tweeting to ask everyone for information. That's not the problem here. The problem isn't that Drake is famous and so he's being held to a different standard. The problem is that because Drake is a black man with a platform, he's being held to a a different standard. But Tory went along with the singling out of Drake when in this Toronto Star story, he was asked, should Drake be saying more? And he said, yeah, Drake should be tweeting. And he was quoted as saying that Drake tweeting about this is, quote, a fairly simple request, unquote. So why are you making this request to Drake, though? If you're saying it's everyone's responsibility, why are you singling out one person and saying it's their responsibility to say something? You see, what bothers me about this is that I know what this is about because I'm a black person in Toronto with a platform. I haven't had, fortunately, a close friend of mine be succumbed to gun violence. And I'm not in the position that Drake is in. But almost every single day, including on the text boards when I come into this radio station, people are always responding to things that I say by being like, why don't you use your platform, Desmond, to solve gun murders? Why aren't you using your platform to uplift the black people? First of all, I think I am trying to do that in my own way, not in the way that you want me to. But it's interesting how this criticism is finding its way to somebody like myself. My friend didn't die in the media and nobody was saying, well, Desmond, now your friend's dead. What are you saying about this? But yet I get the same exact criticism that Drake is getting that I have to use my platform. It was brought up in this media story, actually, that Drake got a key to the city. And it's almost being used as a way of saying that because he was given the key to the city, he should therefore be using his platform for the things that the city would expect him to. And to that end, here's more of what Mayor Tory had to say about Drake. And so I said that, and, and uh, I believe that to be so, uh, that he should, uh, and he should encourage others to do so as well, just because, again, I, I do it in my job, and when you are given a platform to encourage good behavior and encourage you know, things that are in the best interest of the city, then you can use it, among other things, to say to people, we have a lot of unsolved crimes in the city, and one of those kinds of murders is one too many, and that you should come forward and, 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 and encourage other people to, to, to cooperate with the police as well. Now, if you're going to ask that of Drake, you need to individually ask it of every single other person in the city. Because if you're trying to tell us that every person has a duty and there's nothing interesting or special about Drake, then why are you singling him out? Vicky Machama, who was on this program recently, wrote about this issue in a piece that entitled, was entitled, Drake is not Toronto's Batman. I really, really felt and appreciated this piece. And in it, Vicky quotes another black writer in Canada named Huda Hassan. And Huda wrote in Flair to particularly ask that he commit this labor during a time of mourning is a reminder that black people are never granted the humanity to endure pain or, at the minimum, peacefully mourn our loved ones. And Huda gets the last word on that because that's all there is to say. When you're a cop, you can torment freely and see me valley, then seize the Audi, then beam proudly, turn a routine traffic stop to your season finale when you're a cop. 
You can shoot a motherfucker by the trailer park. Plenty evidence, shoot a fence, we'll be razor sharp. Then turn around and taste a perp for a blazing perp. I'm a cop. Now at 11, a chaotic chain of events leading to deadly force by police. But what possessed a promising college student celebrating her birthday to get so violently out of hand? As a father and as a person that loves people, you know, uh, loves Jesus Christ, it's going to be hard to accept that something different could have been done. And new tonight, her father also trying to understand why his daughter had to die. That young woman was making plans for law school. Tonight, the investigation is just beginning after Miami Beach police say they were forced to shoot and kill her last night. CBS 4's Hank Tester working this story live on the beach. Hank. Well, some new video surfaced uh, late this afternoon, which graphically displays just exactly what went down in this neighborhood on Sunday afternoon and what caused a young woman to die right here in the streets of Miami Beach. But also a police officer almost died when she tried to run him down. Let's take a look. It took just seconds. Early Sunday evening, a young woman in a black BMW plows into a Miami Beach police officer. A second officer shoots the driver. The Beamer continues west on 12th Street. Halts. Beach police officers and fire rescue try and save her life. They can't. The officer, David Cajuso, knocked unconscious by the crash, transported to Jackson Memorial. He's released late Monday morning. Dead is 22-year-old Carrie Ann Hython on the beach celebrating a birthday a recent college graduate from Bowie, maryland a witness describes the look on her face behind the wheel like stirring uh, was very like like uh, scary looking i think she was on drugs or something reached in maryland her father tells cbs4 we had just had a conversation recently about the social ills of our society and you know and how she was going to be a budding lawyer and attorney and I always felt that she was going to do great things for our society and for our culture. It's terrible. I mean, you, you, you can't help but have quite a bit of despair and anguish behind something like this because you don't understand how it could happen. Hi, my name is Karen Ann Heisman. She wanted to make a difference in our society and the lives of many people that weren't as fortunate as her. It's out of character what they're telling me, but, you know, I'm not there. I believe that something was going on um, and to say what it was you know maybe she did panic Carrie Ann Hython was set to enter law school when she hit two cars and a truck on South Beach then ran down officer Caruso in slow motion you see the officer being hit head-on the second unnamed officer opens fire wounding Hython fatally the injured officer on the pavement, Miami-Dade police per policy will investigate. Under Florida's fleeing felon law, police can open fire on someone suspected of committing a felony and who could pose a threat to the public. Just, just to protect themselves because the BMW is coming right at him, which in, in, in the BMW did hit him. Well, police investigators would be highly interested in the uh, medical examiner's toxicology report to see just exactly what ailed this young woman when uh, this accident occurred. That's the very latest. I'm Hank Tester, CBS 4 News Tonight. Back to you. I don't want us to lose sight that things are getting better. Each successive generation uh, seems to be making progress in 
changing attitudes when it comes to race. Doesn't mean we're in a post-racial society. It doesn't mean that racism is eliminated. But you know, when I talk to Malia and Sasha, uh, and I listen to their friends and I see them interact, uh, they're better than we are. They're better than we were on these issues. And that's true in every community uh, that I've visited all across the country. It's the only on Fox. A couple of Quakertown middle school students are in some trouble after a Friday night football game turned into a racial incident. Authorities say the students threw rocks and racial slurs at visiting Cheltenham High students. And that had happened during Quakertown's homecoming game. Fox 29's Bruce Gordon live in Quakertown with the details. Bruce. Yeah, high school football, as we all know, can provoke some strong emotions and some hot tempers. But what happened here Friday night, well, it goes well beyond trash talk. This was racial hatred in verbal form. Many of the Quakertown High students leaving school Monday afternoon walked past a yard sign that reads, Hate has no home here. But what happened Friday night just across the street at Alumni Field makes you wonder. And it has Quakertown parents shaking their heads. It's not right. I mean, you just keep your opinions to yourself. And then, um, I mean, everybody has the right to their opinions. But when they're doing that kind of stuff, that's just it's embarrassing and it shouldn't be said. As Cheltenham High School's football team arrived at Quakertown for a Friday night game, witnesses told officials from both schools that some Quakertown fans began to throw rocks at the Cheltenham bus and preceded that with a barrage of vile language. Dr. Wagner Marseille is Cheltenham School Superintendent. Our cheerleaders, uh, members of our band, um, 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 were insulted using uh, racial terms, the most divisive racial terms you can use, the N-word. Um, N you can see this venue, that was packed with thousands of people on Friday night, and we were having a great time. And then this. And then this. Quakertown Superintendent Dr. William Harner is, ironically, a Cheltenham grad. He says a dozen middle school students were interviewed and two eighth graders were found to have engaged in the rock throwing and racial slurs. Both will be punished. My heart's broken. Um, fortunately, it's just a few children. And I say children, um, middle school students, but they embarrass me and they embarrass the school board and uh, our community. Both superintendents told me they'd like to turn this into a teaching moment. They'd like to get both the perpetrators and the targets of that Friday night incident in the same room together under adult supervision to talk about what happened and why it should never happen again. Lucy? All right. Hopefully it'll be a lesson learned. Thank you much, Bruce. Uh, I was the first, one of the first. My first day was state trooper coming, putting me in the back seat of the car, and meeting the other black kids were six of us. And then seeing all of those parents and also KKK members uh, having signs and throwing cans at us, spitting at us. We lived in the threat of death every day, every day. So I was just lost in this vacuum uh, between integration and segregation and, and racism. That was my childhood. I was angry for years. Angry. Very angry. Bob and Hope, hundreds of families and friends walked that 11-year-old Mateus home all the way from his elementary school at Viewmont to this park, well, near his home. And they were showing him support because just a few days ago, he was by himself walking home and he had a very difficult time.
Don't let this be the last time that you guys walk for intolerance and solidarity. Words of support for her 11-year-old son, Mateus Romaldo. I honestly never thought there would be this kind of a an attack on him. Last Thursday, Mateus called his mom, Heather Romaldo, and told her on his way home from school, a car full of teenagers yelled racial slurs at him. He felt very terrified and actually told me that he thought the kids were going to shoot him. In an instant, Heather wanted to make him feel safe. She shared the story on Facebook. Her message reached a local youth basketball coach, Troy Harlan. I know when I read the post that his mom wrote about him being scared and being that, I've gone through all those. Troy and his friends organized a walk for Mateus, even getting the Utah Jazz Bear to show his love for young kids of all ethnicities and retired jazz player Thurl Bailey, all of them supporting the message. The message that I want to happen is that People need to be held accountable, and things need to be held accountable. You're not born to hate people. You're taught to hate people. We need to keep walking, and we need to show the leadership of our country what really needs to happen and how people really feel today. Heather's inspired by the crowds of families who walked with them home. This is amazing. I really had no idea that this would become such a big, big deal, but, but it is a big deal. If you were unable to attend that supportive walk today, the mom, Heather, has found two organizations that teach fighting hate, and you can donate to them on our website, fox13now.com. For now, live in Murray, Danica Lawrence, Fox 13 News, Utah. Every nigger is a star. Every nigger is a star. Who will deny that you and I and every nigger is a star? All right, Tony, thanks so much. These two adults from Mason County are now facing hate crime charges. The victim, a 16-year-old boy. We first broke this story last night before the two were arrested. Police say they threatened and assaulted a teenager because of his race. News Channel 3's Tara McGee explains the family's pain in a crime the chief of police is calling shocking. Friday is a day 16-year-old Logan Cochran won't forget. I was thinking of any possible way to get out of that situation, and there was none. He was at this park in Point Pleasant, playing basketball and hanging out with a girl of another race. He says a few adults showed up, unhappy he and the girl were together. She said interracial couples don't work here. That's when court documents say Delia Carr started yelling racial slurs at Logan, pointed a gun at him, and threatened his life. And I started backing up, saying, I'm 16, I'm 16. And then I look over and he headbutts me in the face. Police say he is Rocky Nybert. Now both Nybert and Carr are charged with a hate crime for violating Logan's civil rights. It's like jump a gate and then catch me or just sit there and hope I don't die. This whole incident may have started with a game of basketball, but the charges against these two are serious felonies. If they're convicted, they could be staying behind bars for about 10 years. I've been called racist names before, but like only in school. Getting called the N-word over multiple times, them having a gun pointed at me changed my whole point of view. Logan is grasping for understanding, while his mother struggles to band-aid an emotional wound. It's a lot. Is there racism? Yes, but to this extent, no. This is stuff I read in... I, I, I read it from inner cities or see on movies. She's thankful another parent stepped in to help, but is heartbroken that hate hit home. This happened solely based on my son's skin color. And how do you fight that? How do you fix that? As for Logan... I hurt my heart. 
It's a close call that still leaves a mark. Jatera McGee, WSAZ News Channel 3, Mason County. We reached out to both Rocky Nybert and Delia Carr. Neither one wished to speak with us. Please say another adult could be charged in the crime as well. If that happens, of course, we'll let you know. If racism, white supremacy was not conducted on this particular planet, then there would be white genetic annihilation. And people who classify themselves as white know this. And this is why this young 21-year-old mass murderer in Charleston, South Carolina, said as he was killing the black people, when a young black man tried to, you know, I guess reason with him, this is what one of the reports were saying, that he said, no, I have to do this because all you want to do is rape our women and take control of the country. And we begin this evening with a disturbing story from here in Jacksonville. Racist flyers full of disgusting and threatening language are being passed out in an Arlington neighborhood. Now, this isn't the first time we've heard of this kind of flyer going around. And we talked about this. We talked about whether doing this story would give a platform to those who wish to intimidate through hateful literature. And in the end, we decided that the specific threats contained in the flyers have brought this problem to a new level. And we decided that the best disinfectant for this racist thinking is the sunlight of a community which knows better. Jason Rantla picks up the story from here. Hey guys, well in my hand here in this bag are the 30 or so racist flyers that were found here on people's doorsteps on Darwinian Drive. They include threats of beating black men for looking at white women as well as suggesting shooting Jewish people in the head. The woman that found these gathered them because she knew this was a very diverse neighborhood and she said she didn't want anyone to be offended by that. Now John Rando's wife, that woman who found those flyers, that's Beth Rando. She found a rolled up piece of paper on her and her husband's her and her husband's driveway yesterday. Now it wasn't the only one as we mentioned. Beth Randall gathered up the flyers outside neighbors' homes, put them in a bag to be thrown away. Now, the news of the flyers is equally shocking for next door neighbor Karen Blakely. Neighbors on the social media site next door reportedly found the same flyers in both the Harbor Winds and Hickory Lakes neighborhoods. Randall says his wife called police. Police told her there wasn't anything they could do. My wife came out and she she seen this little rolled up piece of paper in the in the driveway, picked it up and and read it and came into me crying, saying that she couldn't believe what she was seeing. I hope that you know that you know the world can just get along, you know, and 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 peacefully work together with you know in unity for America's sake. And I reached out to the Jacksonville Sheriff's Office. They are aware of these flyers, and they just sent us a statement moments ago. I'm going to read that to you. Quote, as a law enforcement agency, when we respond to reports of these incidents, our job is to determine if there is an allegation of criminal activity being made or if any laws are being broken. If there is, our officers are trained to conduct further investigation. If there isn't, we try to take the opportunity to explain to the complainant that the distribution of literature, no matter how offensive that literature is to some, is not in of it is not in and of itself a crime. Reporting live in East Arlington, Jason Rantela, First Coast News, on your side. What's going on here? Ask the FBI. 
They got the universal terrorist playbook and they're running it step by step. Black identity extremists. That's the label an internal report by the FBI's counterterrorism division is giving to black activists around the country. The report says they pose a growing threat of premeditated violence against law enforcement in response to police brutality. Former government officials and legal experts say no such movement exists, and this is an attempt by the FBI and the Donald Trump administration to find an equivalent threat to white supremacists and silence black activists. Joining us now by phone from Washington is the article's co-author, Sharon Weinberger, Foreign Policy Magazine's executive editor for News. Sharon, um, his was interesting. Earlier this year, correct me if I'm wrong, didn't federal officials say white supremacists pose a greater threat to Americans than ISIS? Yes, well, there was an FBI report that um, came out in May that we at Foreign Policy obtained and published later that said that there were more attacks in terms of the number of attacks by white supremacist groups than by any other extremist group in the United States, including those linked to the Islamic State or what be it. Um, so it was talking about the number of attacks. This was really a growing problem that the FBI observed. Um, so, you know, there, there have been elements within the FBI that, that were very concerned about white supremacists. And what's interesting here is this is the FBI. This, first of all, show me the evidence. Show me the evidence where black identity extremists are leading these attacks against law enforcement when the reality is, and we've, we've done the stories and the numbers, law enforcement has been, they've been killed by more white folks than anybody else in America. Well, that's exactly, I mean, but when we took this report to, you know, uh, some dozen people to include former DHS and former FBI people. You know, we honestly expected a couple former government people to be like, oh, well, actually, that's not so crazy. It's a continuation of this report or that report. And everyone looked at that terminology, every single person we spoke with. And even though there were variations of opinion, everyone said that's shocking. There, there's simply no such thing as a black identity extremist movement. It would be like linking militias and white supremacists and the guy in Las Vegas and calling them white, uh, you know, white identity extremists. It makes no sense. It has no basis in reality. And frankly, it's racist. This this report to me sounds eerily familiar to what J. Edgar Hoover did by using wiretaps and doing so approved by Robert Kennedy, approved by President Lyndon Baines Johnson and others when they targeted Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., when they wiretapped his hotel rooms, when they wiretapped his friends' phones, when they went after the Black Panthers, when they went after the Deacons of Defense, I can go down the line uh, and list the various organizations that the FBI targeted. This is, uh, again, following the footsteps of J. Edgar Hoover. Is it when we interviewed um, particularly academics who had looked at years of FBI surveillance of African American Afri- of Af- African American activists of writers in the 1960s and 1970s? What they said was so similar was that the FBI, very deep in the FBI's DNA, was this belief that activism, radicalism, was somehow linked to a violent ideology. So maybe in the last century it was linked to communism, and now it's the belief that. Some 
somehow people are linked that inherently violent. Um, it, it, it's just a weird designation. It's weird to assume um, that somehow there's an underlying violent ideology. The cases they cite in the report of violence are very disparate. There's no evidence of a movement. It's just very, it, it's very sloppy methodology in terms of what's going on in politics. It's just doesn't work. And what we ha- and again, we're talking about the FBI here. This is an internal report. Are there, now, have they said, are there any plans to release this? Well, we effectively released it. It was, um, it's an official use only report, so it's not classified. So the FBI purposely does not release these to the public. They go out to local and national law enforcement. Um, John Winter, my colleague, was able to obtain a copy of it. And so we released it because we think it's important that the public see this, that they see what's going on. Um, this is obviously an official designation that the FBI is using to monitor what they believe is a violent movement. Um, people have the right to judge for themselves. All right, Sharon, we sure appreciate it. Thank you so very much. Thank you. Uh, I want to go to a panel here. This, what, you, what you're seeing here, what you're seeing here is Donald Trump's administration mm-hmm. and Jeff Sessions mm-hmm. desiring to target black people. Desiring? They're doing it, Roland. That's what they're doing. They are targeting black people. They are alienating and dividing this country in more and more ways. You've already gone through the facts, and I have been on your show, Roland, where you have explained to people multiple times that there are myths about black people that do not exist. And now you have the KKK, Dylan Roof. You have the, they, they killed uh, Edward Crawford in St. Louis. They killed all these folks, and, and they are not the ones who are on the FBI list. But you have folks who are identifying as black identity extremists, which I have not. Listen, Roland, I piss people off just in case. I hold extreme religious values and extreme beliefs about my black identity. If that makes me a black extremist, what do you want me to do? And, and it's crazy that they would they would put you on a list to then have permission to target you. They're not trying to do anything, Roland. This is his strategic plan to destroy our movement, and he's doing it step by step. First with the NFL and ESPN, and now he's doing a Black Lives Matter directly. Wouldn't you love to see one of these NFL owners? when somebody disrespects our flag, to say, get that son of a bitch off the field right now, out, he's fired. He's fired! student who was suspended for refusing to stand during the Pledge of Allegiance is now suing the school district and the principal who decided to suspend her. Her name is India Landry and uh, she is a student at Winfern High School and uh, apparently she was sent to the principal's office after she was caught texting in class and then while she was at the principal's office uh, the Pledge of Allegiance uh, was done uh, through the intercom and she remain seated. At that point, uh, the principal apparently saw her and wasn't too pleased with it. Uh, Let me tell you what the exchange uh, allegedly was. When the principal, Martha Strother, asked Landry to stand, the 17-year-old declined. According to the complaint, uh, Strother told Landry, well, you're kicked out of here. And then her secretary allegedly told the student, this is not the NFL. Now, this Mm. is a public school that receives taxpayer funding, which means that 
administrators or educators who violate free speech are basically violating the Constitution. Now, in some cases on a school campus, there are more limitations to speech, especially when it comes to something that could be distracting to an educational environment or if it's speech that could potentially harm anyone on campus. But in this case, it was protected speech. She is not to be forced to stand during the Pledge of Allegiance or the National Anthem or anything like that. She was suspended for several days, and now she is filing a federal civil rights lawsuit against the school district. And I think she has a pretty good case there. So I want you to understand that the texting had nothing to do with this story. The only reason it's brought up is because that's what got her sent to the principal's office, and that's fine. You're not allowed to text in class. So that's, but that's not the issue. That's not why she was kicked out. She was kicked out because she wouldn't stand for the pledge, and she, and that has been her consistent principle as they pointed out over 200 times. And but that's what's great about this country is two things. One is you have the freedom of speech and can express your political opinions in any way you like within these confines. And she's perfectly within her rights to do that. And so that's what the Pledge of Allegiance is about. That's what the country is about is celebrating that idea. So the people who are doing this, they're, they're so wrongheaded and they're actually insulting the the idea of America way more mm-hmm. than the people who are practicing the freedom of speech and protesting their government and their government's actions. Protesting your, your government's actions is the most American thing you could do. And then the second part of it is, think about like she's saying, hey, I want to, in essence, fix the system, fix the injustice, and create a more perfect union, which is exactly what the Constitution wants you to do. The Constitution doesn't say sit on your ass. And don't do anything, don't ask for redress of grievances, don't protest, don't be the press, don't try to fix the government. It says fix this government. In in the Constitution, it gives you two different ways to do amendments and to protest the government that the Constitution has formed. Mm-hmm. It is a it is a document built by rebels. They literally rebelled against the king, they did a revolution, they won their freedom, and it's built on freedom. So the people who are saying, no, you should not exercise that freedom, misunderstood the whole point of the country. They're the ones who have no respect for that flag and what it stands for. So the type of mentality that the principal had in this story is is not, you know, it's not unique to conservatives. I want to be clear about something. This type of Weird jingoistic bias runs deep in the country, and I, you know, I didn't really realize how deep it runs until fairly recently, to be honest with you, when an audience member was pretty upset during a recent show when I made the argument that the United States is not the best country. Now, I don't say that because I have disdain for the U.S. I love this country. I have extremely high standards for this country. And I think that it is incredibly wrongheaded to pretend as though everything is perfect and that we should be complacent and that we shouldn't expect better from our country, right? Mm-hmm. So so for instance, you know, obviously we have a long way to go when it comes to our healthcare system. We have a long way to go when it comes to a number of things. There have been a number of international studies that, you know, rank countries based on quality of life, the economic situation, healthcare, education. You think we're number one on those lists? We're not number one on those lists. Okay, and and so yeah, we need to improve. And if you want to think about it on a, on a micro scale, think about an employee that you work with, a colleague that you work with, someone who might get uh, 
um, constructive criticism from management. I mean, if that person said, no, I'm perfect, I'm not going to take any criticism, I'm not going to consider any of these improvements. I mean, well, how would you think of that person? They're not going to improve because they are completely oblivious or, or they refuse to accept the fact that there are improvements that need to be made. And that's not cool. Think about your husband. Right. <laughs> what kind of a person doesn't ever change? A person that can't adjust or adapt, etc. Look, one last thing about this. I remember, and, and you gotta remember, I was a knucklehead. Uh, I, I used to be conservative and, I, and it drove me crazy when people wouldn't stand for the pledge and I thought it was wrong and they should have been kicked out. So I was wrong and I was willing to change. And I used to be upset at uh, Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf who used to be Chris Jackson and he wouldn't stand for the pledge because he was Muslim and he wanted to, uh, he cared about his religion. Okay, now of course in America we say we care a lot about religion unless you're Muslim. Mm -hmm. <laughs> They're like, your religion, no, stand for the pledge. Now, the reason I tell you that whole long story is because it's not just Americans. So uh, he had issues with the NBA, he went to go play in Turkey. And then he didn't stand for the Turkish uh, uh, national anthem either because it, he felt it was against his religion. And Turkey's 99% Muslim. Mm -hmm. They're like, what is with this guy who won't stand for the national anthem? And they were even more pissed at him than the Americans were. Mm -hmm. So he thought he was gonna get a better reception because the country is Muslim, and he did not. So I tell you that because I get it, man. It's in our bones. Like we wanna stand up for our flag, we wanna stand up for our country, and that is that's something because we're standing up for our tribe. What I'm asking you to do, what America is asking you to do, what the Constitution is asking you to do is to get beyond that and realize that standing up for your country is to help it get better. Vision, dreams of passion. And all the while I think of you. A very strange reaction. The more I see, the more I do. Baby. Tell all your friends they can go my way, pay your toll, sell your soul. Pound for pound costs more than gold. The longer you stay, the more you pay. My white lines go a long way, either up your nose or through your vein. With nothing to gain except killing your brain. So Kiana Nijay is with us now on ESPN Radio. You may know that name from this week because she's at the center of this storm in Miami and elsewhere. Involving the offensive line coach or the former offensive line coach for the Miami Dolphins, Chris Forster, uh, Kiana Nijay with us now on ESPN Radio. Thank you for joining us. Uh, what has the last week been like for you, Kiana? I mean, this has got to be oh a little God. bit weird. It has been crazy. As you can hear, like my voice is leaving. Everybody's want to interview me. Um, I've gotten a lot of hate mail. I've had a lot of support, but I believe, like, I did what needed to be done. So it's okay. I take it all. All right. So let's backtrack for a little bit and tell this story a little bit to the uninitiated. So uh, Chris Forrester was a Miami Dolphins offensive line coach, very highly paid. He sent her a video, Keanu Nijay, uh, in which he was snorting a white powder off of his desk and celebrating a time with her that he videotaped it and sent it to her. And then she put it out. ESPN keeps reaching out to Chris Forrester to see if we can get his side of the story for an interview, but he has not responded. 
obviously we'd welcome him on the air as well. Uh, so, Kiana, when you sent it out, what was your motive? My motive was just to um, basically, uh, basically expose the inequalities that's in the system. It's not just NFL, just pure point blank. It's inequalities that comes with being a minority compared to being a white privileged person in America, just in general. Did you, did you decide it upon getting it? Like the moment that he sent it to you, did you think to yourself, this is something that I'm going to do, I'm going to release this, and this is going to create quite the storm? To be completely honest with you guys, the thing is, me and my best friend, Ashley, already had plans on recording him some way regardless to expose this. So even if he didn't send that video, I'm going to be honest with you guys, even if he didn't send that video... It was going to be exposed because it needed to be exposed. How do we have someone that's getting paid millions to be a leader for a team, you know what I'm saying, doing blow, where we can't even have people that's doing what they're supposed to do, nail that flag. It, I mean, nail that anthem. Like, it doesn't make sense to All right, me. well, hold on a second. Kiana, what was the nature of your relationship? Like, why did he trust you with this video? I was dating him. And and you decided as you were dating him, did something go wrong? Was there did anything go wrong with you two? Um, many things went wrong. Actually, he started out the whole situation lying to me from the very beginning. I asked him what his um, status was. He told me he had three kids. He told me that he was married, but that he was divorced. Um, he had asked me if I would move to Miami. He even invited my best friend. That's why I kind of keep mentioning her. Even invited not just me, but my best friend also to move with him to Miami and live in this condo. So it's just the fact that he tried to lie and sell so many dreams. Then on top of that, your drug addict get paid millions. So it is many of reasons. On top of that, after he sent the video, he probably, you know, came off of his high a little bit. After he sent the video, he low-key kind of threatened me. Um, in case I end up exposing the information. So before he can do anything to me, I just felt like that also needed to be exposed. Like just in case I just so happen get set up or somehow just pop up dead, you know, this story was still going to get out. Uh, was there any sort of financial <clears throat> promises made by him that he did not keep? No. Well, Okay. That's a complicated question because he did make a lot of promises, but not necessarily in a financial way. His promises was more so like, oh, I want to get married. Oh, I want to have children. Like those were the type of promises. So technically, when you look at roles such as marriage, kids and stuff like that, that does come with financial responsibilities, but not as far as, yes, I'm going to give you X million dollars on these days. It wasn't like that. All right, if you're just joining us and you don't know what we're talking about, Kiana Nijay is with us on ESPN Radio, and we've been trying to get a hold of Chris Forrester to get his side of the story in an interview, uh, but he has yet to respond. We'd welcome having him, obviously. I'm going to read to you, Kiana, his statement, Chris Forrester's statement. I want to know how you reacted when you saw this. Quote, I'm resigning from my position with the Miami Dolphins and accept full responsibility for my actions. I want to apologize to the organization, and my sole focus is on getting the help that I need with the support of my family and medical professionals. When you saw that, what did you think? How was he even given the opportunity to resign? Seriously. 
how were you given the opportunity to resign after having such footage uh, surfaced in the first place? Let's be honest here. If this was an African-American man, not even just an African, he could have been Mexican, anything like that. If he was a minority, they would have fired him. He would not have given the opportunity to resign. So that just further, you know, just shine light on the fact that there's inequalities to the system. They treat certain people different than others, and it's not fair. Did you think he loved you? Oh, I don't know. I think he did. <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. I do care about Chris. This isn't a I hate Chris type of situation at all because he is a good person. But unfortunately, an example had to be made about the system. And unfortunately, he was the example used. I mean, it just is what it is. Did you love him? Um, I cared about him. Love is, is a very strong word. I care about him. I still do. He was a good guy. He was a caring guy. Like I said, it's not that I have anything against him. I have something against the system and how it's ran. That's why I have an issue with. How and where did you meet? I met him in California. Where? Um, In Oxnard. The team was out there basically um, for practices. Uh, but where? I'm asking specifics. Like, was he calling for uh, entertainment? What was happening there? Like, how did you meet Yes, him? Yes, he was calling for entertainment. He just wanted someone to basically um, do his stuff off of, if that makes sense. Like, some people like using girls for personal, like, human platters, if that makes any sense. Like, people like to do blowing stuff between... In areas such as that, if you get my drift. Okay. Yes, your drift has been gotten. So, uh, is uh, so the, that call is made. That call is made, and um, it's it's just a request. I'm requesting someone I do not know. I want to do cocaine off of this person's body. He didn't say that specifically, but he did mention that he wanted to party. All right. So how and much? At that. How much time did ahead. you spend together after that? Like how? What? How many times did this happen? Um, we met multiple times. Uh, were there any other dolphin personnel or people around? Is it something that you thought was extended beyond him in any way? Um, when we were together, it wasn't no one else around, but he did speak to me about other people. Has he tried to reach out to you? Since the video was released, has he tried to reach out to you this week? No, of course he's not going to try and do that when he already told me about them having a cleanup crew for situations like this. If you have intentions on doing anything to someone, would you contact them? Well, how did you feel threatened? Because the text message he sent me. That said? Let me go to it because I would hate to, like, mislead at all. All right, hold on a second. Again, we'll reintroduce this. No, that's fine. We'll wait for you. Hold on, hold on. We're going to reintroduce this. Kiana Nijay with us on ESPN Radio. She's at the center of this storm involving, uh, you know, disgraced offensive line coach Chris Forrester, who is now out as a Miami Dolphin. ESPN, we have continually tried to get a hold of Chris Forrester without any success. And uh, so the nature of the controversy is there was a video. He was snorting a white powder off his desk. He sent it to her, and she released it. And now we've all seen it. He professed his love uh, for her and couldn't wait to get back and do these things uh, on her body. So 
I'm just curious when you, when you tell us that uh, when you when we hear in the video that he says you've got a baby on the way. I don't know how to ask this question, but did the pregnancy <laughs> alter the nature of the relationship? Um. Yeah, but no. For the simple fact that he like when we spoke on the phone about the fact that I had just realized I was pregnant. Um, not too long ago, actually, is when I realized I was pregnant. Um, but when we spoke about it, he knew that I would have no interest in being like around sentence like that at all. What has so, been yeah, altered? What has been the hardest thing about the last week for you? Because you're getting a lot of you know gold digger, and a lot of people are shaming you. Correct? Um, a lot of people are, but this is the thing: like he's not the richest guy I know. You know what I'm saying? Like he definitely, <laughs> he's not the richest guy I know that has his fault. So obviously, of everyone's personal information I know, because I'm very popular, I know many of people, of everyone I know, I expose this for a specific reason. Like I said, it had nothing to do with the fact that I don't like Chris, that I hate Chris. It's more about the social injustices that's going on in the system, period, point blank. And to be honest, this allowed me to shine even more of a light, because like I said, instead of him getting fired, like what would happen to a majority of coaches, they allowed him to resign. You see what I'm saying? Like they're holding his hand through the process. But who's holding Kaepernick's hand? You see what I'm saying? So if anything, it's just it's proving my point even more. All right. So did you find that text? I did. Okay. So, well. yeah. So basically he has sent me a message saying anything that I plan to do or try to harm him, uh, harm him with, will be turned over to his job security team. So, when I think about security teams, maybe I don't watch one too many seasons of Scandal. I don't know. I just felt like I had to sleep with one eye open after that. Like, who the f- is a security team? You see what I'm saying? Like, that just it sounds so fishy to me. The reaction around the country about what you expected or much larger than anything you expected? Oh, honestly, I didn't think it would go this extreme. I didn't. Like, prior to me releasing the video, I even made a status. Like, I've really, because I had been considering releasing this footage for about a few days. It's probably about a week old as of now. Yeah, the footage probably like around a week old or something like that. But I've already been sitting, dictating on when to release the footage. You see what I'm saying? Well, you you had mentioned yeah. right. You were you had planned to do this to him from the moment that you met him, correct? You had planned this or no? Well, well, kind of like after I realized his habits and after I realized who he was and everything that's going on in in the system and stuff right now. Yes, he was going to get exposed. Put us there if you don't mind, Kiana. What was your reaction when you received the video? I was surprised. Like, who would do that? <laughs> Seriously, seriously. If it was me and I was getting paid millions of dollars to be a leader for an international team at that, like this isn't just something that's just watched in the U.S. This is something that's watched everywhere. So if I was getting paid millions of dollars, I would have never done anything like this. Like I would have never been no blow, no kind of crime at all that would have put me in a position to lose that job ever. Ever. Why do you think he trusted you? Because 
the relationship of which we had. Like, we had a great connection. Like, we had a great relationship. Like, anyone that knows me knows how my energy is. You you would love to be around me. Like, you would love my company. Like, I'm a happy-going person. So, yes, I understand why he trusts me and everything. And sometimes we all need someone to talk to. Like I said, it's not that I don't like Chris. It's not that I hate Chris. Unfortunately, it's just that a point has to be proven. Do you you have any regrets about anything that you've done? Because obviously you've uh, helped harm him, although he made his own bed. Um, No, I don't have any regrets because what I thought would happen happened. They allowed him to resign. They're going to hold his hand through this whole situation. He'll be coaching again next year. No, I don't have any regrets. I'm actually happy because they did exactly what I thought they'd do. And now it's just even more blatant that it's just it's just not fair. Like, this system is not fair at all. So no regrets at all. If anything, the system should be granting how they're doing things. If I, if, I may press you, if I may press you on a couple of questions on some details, again, Kiana Nijay with us on ESPN Radio. She's at the center of this storm, having released a video by the resigned offensive line coach, Chris Forster, who had white lines on his desk, snorted them, and sent her a video, and then she put it uh, out in social media. Now we are where we are today with this. Kiana Nijay with us on ESPN Radio. The details, how many times did you do cocaine with Chris Forster? None. Okay, so you did. Forrester. Chris Forrester used me as his cocaine platter. Okay, how many times did that happen? Oh, multiple. Uh, you don't know how many times? No. <laughs> okay, how long was your relationship for? Oh, like a month and a half, almost two months, somewhere around there. All right, so it was several times in a couple of months? Uh, yes. Yes, uh, sure. was, was uh, and what more? What more can you fill in on the nature? When people question you, what is the fairest criticism that you can see? If people question uh, a your motives or your lifestyle or whatever questions and judgments they're going to rain down on you, this is my whole thing. Why are they even question me at all? Like when Tiger Woods was or his whole situation, were they questioning the the Caucasian women? You see what I'm saying? This is another, you know, this is another example of how our society is messed up. When it comes to an uh, African-American woman proving a point or putting facts out there, it's facts. I don't even need to say anything. Like, it shouldn't even take me saying anything. The facts is out there. He's doing that on his own. He takes that. On his own. And then the words that he allowed to come out of his mouth while he was doing all of them acts, those were all his choices. So why am I being questioned at all? It doesn't matter what I do. I could be a janitor. I could be a bum. I could be a crackhead. I could do lean on the weekends. It doesn't matter what I do because I'm not the one getting paid multi-millions to lead a team. I'm not a leader. I'm like, that's not my job. That's not what I get paid to do. But Kiana, you understand. Kiana, you understand why it seems like you know while people are saying it appears that you had your own agenda here, right? Yeah. She, well, she had a large. I do. Class. I did yeah. have my own agenda. I, I do have my own agenda. I did my own agenda. I put out there the fact that there is inequalities in this system. That was my agenda, and I proved it. 
over and over. They're helping me prove it every day by how they're handling the situation. What are you and your friend talking about in these last few days as this has become a mushroom cloud? Like you and your best friend, when you talk about this, is it, is it something that's exciting for you? No, it's not exciting at all because my friend is actually also getting death threats. So multiple of my friends, like people are trying to figure out who knows me and stuff like that to contact them, question them and threaten them also. So, no, none, none of my friends, we're, we're not saying are excited, like, whoa, I'm happy, you know, like, my name's out there, none of that. Like, we don't give a f- about none of that, because obviously we're losing focus on the importance of this whole situation. So, no, it's no excitement. I'm losing my voice. I've been spotting. I have high-risk pregnancies. So the stress is coming. Everybody hit my inbox. Well, not everyone. I have, it's about... At 70 30 right now. I had 70% of people support me, understanding my motives completely. And then I had 30% that's more so like America, but not America like America, but America like A M E R I K K A. Like I have those people also hit me too with all the, all of that. Don't get in a lot of backlash, but it's okay because people are just exposing themselves. This is a very, our nation is not good, you guys. Like, you guys might not understand because, once again, like, I'm an African-American woman in America, so I'm pretty sure you really don't understand the struggles of being an African-American person in America, period. We're treated different, period. So all this is doing is just really shining lights on the even more inequalities that we have as a country. And then people wonder why, like, a lot of African-Americans don't support certain things when it comes to this country because we're not treated equally. We're not. We're not treated like everyone else. We don't get paid the same amount as everyone else. Y'all don't even, people don't even discipline us the same. So I'm just curious uh, on the details of this. Did he tell you that doing this in the office was a normal thing? Was he telling you... That, the, that this is something that was somehow condoned, accepted, or known in his workplace? This is a regular habit of his anywhere they go. It doesn't matter if they're in Miami, if they're in London, if they're in New York. Like, I know about everywhere they went because I was invited everywhere they went. And everywhere they went, he would send me other footage. Like, that's not the only footage I have. This is what people need to understand. That's not the only piece of footage. That's just like a tip of the iceberg. So, yes, this is regular. He he used to keep his supply in his desk at Miami. He was doing it at his desk at Miami. So you can look into the background of the video and tell he was at his Miami office. And you have more incriminating video than the one that you released? Yes, I do. And I more get, videos, more pictures, more everything. All right. Well, Kiana, we appreciate your time. We appreciate uh, your story. Thank you for sharing it with us. Thank you for choosing this as the platform to share it. No problem, honey. I hope you guys have a blessed day. Time! Oh, shit. Don't tell me my niggas got lost in time. My niggas are dying before their time. time. My niggas are serving unjust time. Yeah. My niggas are dying because of time. <laughs>
Keep today in your health will listen to the ticking of your biological clock. Okay, not literally. It doesn't actually tick. But we do have internal mechanisms that regulate metabolism and even our behavior. This is a story we first told you back in 2015, which we revived today because three scientists have won the Nobel Prize in Physiology or Medicine for their research into how these clocks work. Here's NPR's Allison Aubrey. On a recent morning at about 7.30, when I'd normally be eating breakfast and starting my day, I meet up with a guy across town, Tom Washburn, who's doing just the opposite. He's finishing his workday as an overnight hospital nurse. I'm at the end of my shift, and um, I'm tired. <laughs> yeah, I need to sleep. I'm dying. The whole pattern of his life is upside down, and he's feeling it. He ate dinner sometime after midnight last night. Sometimes my body just doesn't, you know, cooperate, I suppose, and I get tired, I get hungry, I get bloated, just things just, it feels off. Now, it's not just shift workers and jet-lagged globetrotters who override their natural circadian rhythms. To a lesser extent, it's also all those people who just can't turn off the iPad at night and have to drag themselves out of bed in the morning. Fred Turek is a circadian scientist at Northwestern University. These people are totally out of synchrony. When their body clock is telling them to go to sleep, they have to be awake. And then when they try to go to sleep, their body clock is saying, hey, time to get up. Now, Turek says we can certainly bounce back from a transatlantic trip or an all-nighter, but when living against the clock becomes a way of life, lots of things go awry. Studies show if you mess with the body's sleep-wake cycle, your blood pressure goes up, hunger hormones get thrown off, and blood sugar regulation goes south. Over time, Turk says, this may set the stage for metabolic diseases, such as diabetes. What happens is that you get a total desynchronization of the clocks within us, which may be underlying many of the chronic diseases we face in our society today. Now, notice that Turek says clocks, plural, within us. We've known for a long time about the master clock in our brains that synchronizes our body to the 24-hour light-dark cycle. But in recent years, scientists have made a pretty cool discovery. It turns out that we have different clocks in every organ. Yes, there are clocks in all the cells of your body. Wow, it's kind of stunning. Yes, that is a discovery that's literally surprised us, I must say. Turek says, think of all these clocks in our bodies as instruments or players in an orchestra. The idea that the heart has a clock. Think of it as a drum. And the kidneys? The kidneys have a clock. Two clocks, one in each kidney. Maybe they're the horns. Then there's the pancreas. Oh, yes, the pancreas has a clock. That's the flute. Now, the master clock in our brains is like the symphony conductor, keeping all of the players in sync. Once the conductor comes on, everybody's in synchrony, and it sounds beautiful. The idea that your body is functioning normally when everybody's in synchrony with the master conductor in your brain. You're sleeping well, eating regularly, and feeling good. But what if the clocks get out of sync? (laughs) It sounds so bad, right? And Turek says something like this may happen in our bodies. So think back to Tom, the overnight nurse. The master clock in his brain, which is set by the 24-hour light-dark cycle, is like the conductor, cueing all the other clocks in the body that it's night. So, for example, his digestive organs are not expecting food. The clock in the brain, it is sending signals out Do not eat. Do not eat. And this is where things get out of whack. 
Tom has to eat something on his overnight shift, and when he does, research suggests this meal may reset the clock in his digestive organs. So instead of being in sync with the master clock, the clock in, say, the pancreas, which has to start releasing insulin to deal with the meal, is getting competing time cues. The pancreas is listening to the signals related to food intake, but that's out of synchrony with what the brain is telling it to do. So if you are sending signals to those organs at the wrong time of day, such as eating at the wrong time of day, we're upsetting the balance. Now, it's still early days for circadian science, but there's growing evidence that different organs and systems in the body are programmed to do different things at different times. For instance, doctors have long known that the time of day you take a drug can influence its potency. And Turek says part of this is that the liver may be better at detoxifying at certain times of day. If you take a drug at one time of day, it might be much more toxic than at another time of day. And consider a recent weight loss study by a circadian scientist at Harvard named Frank Shear. He found that the timing of meals may influence how much weight people can lose. The finding uh, was that people who ate their main meal earlier in the day were much more successful at losing weight. In fact, early eaters lost 25% more weight than later eaters. So quite a surprisingly large uh, difference. Now, Northwestern's Fred Turek says his hope is that down the road, circadian science will make a big difference to the practice of medicine. We would like to be in a position where we'd be able to monitor hundreds of different rhythms in your body and determine if they're out of synchrony with each other, and then we would try to normalize them. Now, whether or how quickly this may happen is hard to say, but what is clear is that the study of the biology of time is exploding. What we're doing now in medicine is what Einstein did for physics at the beginning of the last century. He brought time to physics. We are bringing time to biology. That's, that's new. The irony is that this insight comes at a time when more and more of us seem to be ignoring our internal clocks. Alice Aubrey, NPR News. Time is always against us. Context of white supremacy. Gus T. Renegade in for another broadcast, hopefully to share constructive information on the system of white supremacy. Today's date, Saturday, October 14th, 2017. So I have been told this is our weekly compensatory call in. Dial in if you have views you would like to share, counter-racist suggestions, uh, thoughts on any of the news clips that we heard, let us know. The number to dial, 641-715-3640. The code, 564-943-POUND. Press star 6 if you would like to participate. Number again, 641-715-3640. The code, 564-943-POUND. Press star 6 if you would like to participate. A couple things before we get to folks who dialed in. Uh, first up, this broadcast, The Cows, is listener-supported counter-racist radio invest if you think the program is constructive you can visit my blog racism-notes.blogspot.com racism-notes.blogspot.com when you visit the blog look in the top right corner you will see the paypal button if you are not into paypal 
drop me an email and we will get you a physical mailing address. Huge thanks to all the folks who have invested nearly a decade uh, of folks supporting the cows. Also, you can support via our Amazon wish list. It is under Gus T. Renegade, uh, posting it on Facebook uh, and tweeting it as well. Uh, it's also linked on the blog, top right corner, when you go to the page. Uh, and just a word on my wish list and that last clip that we heard about the different clocks in your body. Uh, that segment reminded me of Dr. Kamal Kanban as well. I know uh, consistently when he's on the program, he's talking about getting enough rest uh, and saying that he makes an effort to go to sleep each night, 10 p.m., make sure that that is his bedtime. Uh, that's something that he's uh, talked about on this broadcast consistently, but that is something, I, in my view, the system of white supremacy has done extraordinary damage uh, to my ability to get quality rest and to have all of my uh, clocks in my system, in my body, uh, synchronized and in harmony. Uh, just for the duration of my time on the planet, and it's been a variety of things. I think just the stress of racism uh, can disrupt your ability to sleep. Uh, racial dislocation, uh, just scheduling and what have you. A lot of times because we're working and doing things, our work schedule is not conducive to us being able to get quality rest. I just feel like that's been a problem for me for my entire time on the planet. And I get the sense that for many black people, especially people that listen to this program, uh, that sleep often is an issue for them as well. That is one of the reasons that on my wish list, I have a lot of uh, betting items and have had betting items for a good chunk uh, of the year. Uh, that is something that I would say, hey, we do not need to invest and spend $8 billion to get you know, giant eight foot televisions and a lot of the other things that racists would encourage us uh, to waste uh, our coins on. I would say it might be something to consider if you want to invest to have quality bedding. And again, that doesn't mean that you have to have, you know, gold fabric sheets or anything nutty, but to get quality bedding uh, so that you can sleep comfortable. I know that's something that I had never really uh, thought about investing in and say, yes, I'm going to get try and get the best high quality bedding possible uh, to see if that would help, uh, because I have had insomnia and sleep problems a lot and just not being able to get enough rest and quality rest. But I can say getting more comfy bedding, it does help. And uh, I know for me, it helps in saying, oh, yes, bed is so comfy. I will try and wrap things up orderly so that I can get in bed sooner and get more rest. So I would encourage everyone to really respect that. Uh, and I even I told a listener this week, new part of my code, no computer in bed. Uh, if you're going to have nice, comfortable bedding and really enjoy it and really try and respect uh, the rest that your body needs as a victim of racism and someone trying to counter that system. Man, no computer. Try to, to cut down, minimize on those electronics. Dr. Niana Rasayani calls that electromagnetic smog uh, and saying that that can be really disruptive to us being able to function in a healthy manner. No computer in bed, no uh, laptops, mobiles, none of that. If you got to get on all that stuff, get out of bed, do that and then put it down, hop back in bed. Other person, uh, other quick things, other quick notes that I wanted to get to before we get to the callers. The segment where they were talking about the young lady in Florida. This is a black female, uh, Carrie Ann Denise uh, Hithen. 
I believe that's how you pronounce her name, where she was shot and killed. Uh, it, she was in a vehicle and the vehicle struck an officer and they fired on her after she struck the officer with the vehicle. In that clip, they said uh, that she looked possessed. Now, that is I mean, if we're well, a lot of times when they talk about these encounters where it's just a few seconds, it's not like you get an opportunity to look at this person in slow motion and, you know, to really study and scrutinize what they're doing. Everything is is a quick look. That's the word that gets used. She looks like she was possessed. Some sort of, you know, freakish, ghoulish monster or what have you that Satan has literally leaped into their body. Uh, I thought that was important. Also, there was suggestion of alcohol or, or drug use. Again, sobriety would be best. I think I might get that in again before the program concludes, but sobriety would be best. I don't know if that was involved here, but that certainly was something that they were uh, hinting at. Uh, I think if, you know, black people could just make that a part of our counter racist code. Uh, you already know if a black person was involved, they don't participate in any of that stuff. So yeah, they were, they were sober uh, at the time that all of this uh, transpired. I uh, also thought it was important. The segment uh, where they, it was a young child and they got all of these people to come and walk him home from school because he had been terrorized previously. First, that happened in Utah. We just had that segment, I think it was two weeks ago, where it was a young child, I think also like seven years old, really young, seven, eight years old. And some race soldier was yelling at him, calling him a nigger and everything else. And then the guy, uh, when the young child's father, non-white father came out, he tased him in the neck. Remember that? That was in Utah. This story also uh, was in Utah, where... I think they said it was some teens uh, rolled by in a vehicle and were calling him nasty names and threatening him. And he said, you know, he thought they might uh, were maybe going to shoot him uh, when you get all those whites because it, it wasn't all white people, but it was a lot of white people. It was in Utah. How could it not be? So they had all these white people come out and, you know, he's our pal. We're going to walk with him. Not in our name. That repulses me those sort of instances repulse me to the highest degree because it some of the culprits could have been in that very group uh some of the folks in that group could know the very people who did this and even forget all of that i am sure you got some racists in that group uh whites love that sort of thing it's so effective because it gives the appearance we talked about this before it gives the appearance that not all of the people who are classified as white are racist, that you got lots of melanin deficient folks who are, don't, aren't racist at all and would give up an afternoon to come out and make sure that a good nigger is able to walk home peacefully without being terrorized. They are great at that sort of thing. It's effective. And they even got a great uh, public uh, publicity event uh, out of this one because they got all the footage of, of people walking with this young child home. And the second thing in that clip they started it out and I think they had uh, a white woman. She said, this is don't let this be the last time that you take a stand and you march against uh, intolerance. And she had some other nonsense words. We talked about this with crazy talk, stupid talk. That is a part of how you support racism, white supremacy. You use total nonsense words to describe what's happening. They said this young uh, boy was terrified thought they were going to shoot him. That's what they said. That's not intolerance. That's terrorism. And whites do this all the time. It's deliberate. These are acts of racism with a bullhorn, no less, as though they're out trying to help using incorrect terms. That's one of their, that is the 
primary method that they practice racism using incorrect terms, and they do this consistently. Really got to be mindful for that. Hopefully we can uh, practice that as we continue with the broadcast. Uh, as this is the compensatory call-in, I state, if we could not use metaphors, that is something that is for this broadcast exclusively. No metaphors. Uh, it's been my experience that frequently uh, racists, individuals classified as white, they will deliberately employ metaphors, similes, comparisons between two entities that are not equivalent. They will do this on a regular basis. It generates confusion. It's difficult to understand. It is a major method of deception with non-white people. Many of us have been exposed to racist antics for the duration of our time on the planet. And many of us, Gus T. Renegade included, we are still learning. As such, sometimes we will use a metaphor analogy to convey our thoughts. Uh, sometimes we haven't come to a conclusion. We're still trying to formulate our thoughts. And so we will hope that the metaphor will uh, adequately compensate uh, for any deficiencies or where we have not actually come to a conclusion. And oftentimes when this happens, it just generates a lot more chaos. It's not comprehensible. It doesn't make any sense at all. If we could just be explicit and speak directly to what it is we want to say, uh, if you're not able to articulate your thoughts without a metaphor, then perhaps you need to take a little more time, do a little more thinking. And there is nothing wrong with that at all. Uh, but for this broadcast, no metaphors. Thank you kindly. I will prompt about that. Uh, if you could take five minutes to share whatever commentary that you have, that would be great. Make sure everybody gets an opportunity to share at least once. Uh, if you know you're in a noisy environment, if you could use your mute button, uh, that way we can preserve the audio quality of the broadcast uh, as opposed to having a lot of you know unnecessary sounds and audio disrupting other folks when they are trying to speak. Uh, last thing I'll get in, uh, the segment that was talking about the young lady uh, Kijuana Naji, uh, who got the race soldier with the Miami Dolphins, released the video footage of him uh, doing cocaine uh, and talking about partying it up and what have you. In that segment, I thought it was important. Uh, one, she made a lot of great points directly addressing racism. Super appreciated. That's why I included it. But I also thought it was important. She was talking to a pair of whites uh, who were doing the interview. I thought it was important. Uh, they were doing the same thing. We've pointed this out before. They were, even though we got video of this guy, this coach, former coach, got video of him snorting lines. Well, maybe it wasn't cocaine. Maybe, you know, maybe it was flour. Maybe it was his medication. Maybe, you know, it was something else. We don't quite know. We don't want to make any false accusations. He's and he was, as she stated, he was allowed to resign as opposed to being terminated. But we still, you know, want to give him the benefit of the doubt that this may not have been cocaine that he was sniffing consistently where whites are given that where they're not criminalized, even if we got video. Black person, he asked her, how many times did you all smoke? Uh, how many times did you all do cocaine? He asked her that specifically uh, when it's about her. And she says, hey, I didn't do any of that at all. He was the one sniffing the cocaine. He was just using me as a platter cow bell. Thought that was important. Also, I will stop there. If folks have other commentary. Feel free. Uh, and we will be here tomorrow for the Global Sunday Talk on Racism, 3 p.m. Eastern, 
2 p.m. Central, 12 noon Pacific. Forgot about that, but we'll be back quickly and we'll get a global take on uh, what has been going down all around the world. System of white supremacy last 30 days. Uh, first few folks who dialed in with a hand up line should be open. Proceed. Hello, may I proceed? Hello. Uh, did I hear a female caller? I heard the male voice as well. Was there a female caller? I- I'm sorry. Um, this is Red from Ohio. I'll I'll try to be as quick as possible. Um, last week I did speak about not having any um, stories about um, the quote unquote opioid epidemic. Of course, um, maybe white people must have heard me, and they did put out a story in the Columbus Dispatch. Um, this is dated Sunday, October 8th, 2017, of course, and the story is labeled um, Ohio's New Pill Mill. And just to sum it up, uh, the first sentence, it says, cash only Suboxone. Suboxone is S-U-B-O-X-O-N-E. Clinics raise concerns about treatment for opioid addicts. Basically, what the um, article is about is how white they quote unquote or some whites quote unquote are trying to combat the opioid epidemic by coming up with other drugs that uh, these opioid um, addicts can replace the opioids with. And that's where Suboxone comes in at. Um, Suboxone is basically something that is supposed to uh, help addicts. Um, get over their opioid addiction, almost like a, um, a nicotine patch for um, people who have problems with smoking. Uh, and a couple of call-offs in the article, it says Suboxone also is a popular street drug, one that the state, one that state reports on drug abuse trends says is highly available for illicit use. And the Suboxone, and so what is happening is that um, people are opening up Suboxone clinics so um, to, I guess, offer a replacement for opioids, and it's supposed to at least uh, help um, reduce the opioid deaths. But what has happened is that um, people are now, uh, since it is basically uh, a replacement for different um, opioids, such as what I've um, reported on in the past, uh, carfentanil and fentanyl, and there's some other fentanyl-type drugs, which is basically um, uh, synthetic uh, heroin, which is either supposed to be somewhere between 10 times or 100 times more potent than heroin. That's the reason why um, these white people are um, dying so quickly, because it's so potent. So it's supposed to help them. And a couple, like I said, a couple of call outs is that um, with these clinics that are opening up these uh, suboxone um, treatment centers, which I've also uh, reported on, I've seen just going around different um, places in Ohio, I've seen um, different medical facilities being um, uh uh, transform into, you know, let's say like, you know, like a, a Medicaid clinic into a treatment clinic. So it, it could be possible that they are actually supplying addicts with Suboxone, but they are cash only. So basically what is happening is um, 
the addicts, they have to then pay for these quote unquote treatments. And that is either supposed to help them with if they are um, sentenced or if they're told by judges to go to these clinics um, for drug treatment, um, that's supposed to, you know, keep them out of jail. Uh, one of the one things in the, one thing in the article says is that new licensing laws uh, requires opioid treatment offices like pain medication clinics to be owned and operated solely by more uh, one or more doctors authorized to practice in Ohio. And but then it also says the board can, however, waive requ waive that requirement. So it's not yet known how many of those um, clinics are ultimately licensed to be doctor-operated. Uh, doctor so basically what is happening is these addicts, they're getting the Suboxone, which they can basically um, take to drug dealers and then get the heroin or get the opioids that they are basically trying to um, get anyway or trying to um, treat anyway. So it's basically used as a currency. I hope that's not a metaphor. I do apologize if it is. And with that specific um, point that I, um, that sentence that I pointed out, it's basically what I understood from that is that white there, white people are making up laws that they don't have to follow. So it's, so I feel like if, let's say if a non-white does want to get into this quote unquote treatment um, industry, they might have to actually get a license that a white person does not have to get a, a license for. And it also says, you know, it has to be operated by doctors but they can also waive that um, requirement. Another thing is that um, uh, within the past, um, one second, um, there's a lot of different things in this article that are definitely troubling. Um, just the fact that people are now being able, white people, I'm, I'm assuming, um, they're able to, you know, make a lot of money off of these quote unquote treatment facilities. There's even one point where it says um, they're actually speaking to recovering addicts saying that if you go into these clinics, supposing to get this suboxone and um, you also have to do a drug test. So that way you're not still taking heroin or what ha or, or any other type of opioid. If, you are um, found to be intoxicated, you cannot get the suboxone, you can also go to jail. But these doctors are, or, or these um, other medical practitioners are saying, well, if you are um, still found to be intoxicated or you're failing the drug test, they're like, okay, well, you'll just have to pay me more money so that way we can still report to the courts or whoever needs to get this report so that way you're not being reported. Um, I'll leave it at that. Um, yeah, thank you for allowing me to share. Indeed. I posted a report on my Facebook page today. It's uh, titled, As Overdose Deaths Pile Up, A Medical Examiner Quits the Morgue. This was in the New York Times, and this guy is in New Hampshire. Uh, it's a white doctor that they were interviewing, but they mention Ohio in this report. So I'm not going to read the whole thing, but just a little bit of what they were talking about. Man, I wish Dr. Welsing was here to give her thoughts, but a little bit that I'll share. As Dr. Andrew an energetic man of 60, white, who, with his close-cropped gray beard, resembles the actor Richard Dreyfus, has watched the drug toll mount. He is no longer content simply to catalog it. He wants to try in his own small way 
to stop it. After laboring here as the chief forensic pathologist for two decades, exploring the mysteries of the dead, he retired last month to explore the mysteries of the soul. In a sharp career turn, he is entering a seminary program to pursue a divinity degree and ultimately plans to minister to young people to stay away from drugs. After seeing thousands of sudden, unexpected, or violent deaths, Dr. Andrew said, I have found it impossible not to ponder the spiritual dimensions of these events for both the deceased and especially those left behind. With 64,000 overdose deaths last year, nationwide a staggering 22% jump over the previous year, it is little wonder that overdoses, the leading cause of death among Americans under 50, are reducing life expectancy. They are also straining the staffs and resources of morgues and causing major backlogs. This is especially true in New Hampshire, which has more deaths per capita from synthetic opioids like fentanyl and other and than any other state last year the overdose death toll here reached nearly 500 almost 10 times the number in 2000 some medical examiners especially in hard-hit ohio have had to store their corpses in cold storage trailers in their parking lots in manatee county florida dr russell vega the chief medical examiner said that when he reaches overflow conditions he relies on a private body transport service to store the bodies elsewhere until his office can catch up i will stop there again i wish dr welsing was here to analyze what a sudden staggering turn of events for whites and these drug related because i mean they're talking exclusively pretty much about whites but Related to uh, Redden, Ohio, uh, and thought that might be of some interest. I put it on my Facebook page earlier today. The mail caller who spoke up simultaneously, thank you for your patience. Proceed. Thank you. Uh, Greetings to the host and to the callers and listeners. Uh, Briefly, on the audio clip about the FBI report, uh, I don't think it was, it could have been just coincidentally, I was listening to the interview with, uh, or the program, archive program with Maddie McGee. Um, and speaking about the FBI and J. Edgar Hoover. And I remember there was a point brought up in that program about John Patasha's book about the FBI's war against um, black people, or Tupac Shakur specifically, and against um, uh, other non-white people. And I think it was brought up that, that he, he stated COINTELPRO really never ended, or that was one of his, his contentions, that COINTELPRO never ended. So I thought that was interesting that now it's being spoken of. As if it's um, as if it's new. There was a uh, report that caught my attention regarding some Texas inmates uh, that were supposedly had supposedly donated more than fifty thousand dollars to the Hurricane Harvey relief efforts. Um, I found that interesting because um, seven of ten Texas prisoners are non-white. That's non-white, black, or so-called Hispanic. Um, over six thousand prisoners donated hundreds of dollars from their own commissary accounts. Um, I really didn't know what to think of that, but um, it, it obviously seems as if racist man, um, you know, has, has really kicked up either the confusion level among non-whites, um, but that was very interesting that prisoners um, were donating money to the hurricane relief, and undoubtedly to the, or, or to, they were reported to have donated this to the Red Cross, so I thought that was especially tacky. Uh, the report, uh, the Young Turks, uh, the Young Turks, as a news organization, makes me sick to my stomach. 
no metaphor. I physically feel ill when I listen to them speak. And I really believe that it's it's because of the amount of refined racism that they're practicing. It, it causes, um, it's very nauseating. A great and appropriate sound clip regarding the classic song, White Lines. I thought that was very appropriate for that, um, that audio clip about the young non-white woman um, who was with the coach. I had a compensatory request. I would like to ask the name and the author of that poet. It sounded like some type of poem um, where the um, person was speaking about time. I just wanted to know if you had the um, the name of that that uh, either music clip or or, um, or the author. I also had a request regarding a My Brother's Keeper song. I know that there was, um, I think, on the interview archive interview with Wesley Muhammad, there was a song played by a group by the name of I believe My Brother's Keeper, White Jesus. It was in the title something about White Jesus. I just wanted to know if you knew where I could find that um, that song. I also have been reading and um, studying a little bit about Colin Ferguson, um, known for the uh, quote-unquote Long Island um, uh, Railroad Massacre. Uh, I learned about him from this program, I believe a archive program with Dr. Cambon, and I feel that it's been very constructive to learn more about him. I would actually... Um, think that he, he was extremely important um, for non-white people to study and to learn more about him. I wish him, um, wish him I believe he, he's, still, he's still alive from what I've read, but um, it was very constructive to learn about that. And um, I've also had a, uh, an epiphany, or rather I've, I've cleared my understanding regarding um, the use of the word brother or sister. Um, I previously used it often to refer to non-white black people. I believe it's been brought up on this program that that word is not necessarily the best word to use. And I've, over the past week and a half, I've had several um, encounters with non-white people, and it's become very clear to me that I personally don't think I'm going to continue the use of the word brother or sister to describe other non-white black people because I believe it causes confusion, and it's not as genuine as it would seem. And um, my final um, comment is a um, final compensatory request. I would like to ask, um, I listened to a program where it was stated that um, there were some shirts available regarding um, um, uh, with the title, Please Respect Me um, Like I Am a White Person. I know in that program you said that you were not interested in making more of those shirts, but if you had the image available and if you would allow other, other individuals, non-white people to possibly print an individual shirt. I just wanted to make that request, and I'll take my call offline. Thank you very much for listening. Great. Uh, that was Saul Williams. Uh, he was doing that recital in the movie Slam uh, from some years back. I think it's online, Saul Williams. Uh, Brothers Keeper, that song is Where, uh, about White Jesus. Um I'm not sure which I think if you just do Brothers Keeper where it should pop up online, uh, either where you can listen to it or if you want to purchase or all of the above or whatever options. But Brothers Keeper where is the name of the song. Uh, the image might have to take some work because the shirt thing was from a long time ago. Uh, I think that was three compensatory requests. 
other folks that have a hand up that we've not heard from at all, if you have commentary, proceed. Can I be heard? Yes, sir. Hey, good evening, host. Good evening, uh, listeners. I just wanted to share um, a story that happened to me this afternoon. Um, I first want to begin by um, saying that I used to hear, and I still do, the question, um, who is more, who knows more about uh, racism, uh, black people or white people. And I used to hold my answer for that. I was more in a, um, that was an unanswered question for me personally. And so I have been more active in conducting experiments and asking questions. And I have concluded that is a very purposeful activity, very purposeful um, question to ask and to engage individuals with, um, and I have concluded that uh, black people are very confused, still very confused. I get a range of all kinds of answers, and none of those answers seem to uh, be specifically um, uh, targeted in the direction of uh, uh, the, the, the real answer and the problem. Um, I was uh, out um, early this afternoon shopping for a friend, some art, and I had a young black male approach me. He was about 15 years old. He was selling uh, chocolate. And, you know, I asked him what the the chocolate was for, and he said it was for his basketball team. I asked him where his basketball team was and where he went to school, and he was... was, um, very respectful and very courteous. And uh, so you know, I asked him how his day was and why he was down in this area. And his response was that, well, I'm trying to sell as many chocolate bars as possible, but um, this is also where um, a lot of uh, rich white people are. And he chuckled a little bit. And so I asked him how much time he had to talk. He said, I have a little bit of time. And so I I just directly asked him, um, said, well, what has been your experience with uh, selling the chocolate down here? And he said, well, I've noticed that um, when I try to approach white people, they they walk very, very, very quickly, very fast away from me. I said, interesting. And... I said, well, what do you think about that? He said, I don't know. So I said, well, what do you think about racism? He said, well, you know, it's it's bad. I said, why do you think it's bad? He said, well, you know, when uh, you know black people are racist or white people are racist or you know Mexicans are racist, it's it's just it doesn't make people feel good. And you know, just listening to his response, especially when um, um, young males his age are being killed 
and um, targeted by um, Ray soldiers. It was just very concerning to me and um, about how early we are getting um, this information, educating um, our children concerning the, the world that they live in. But I talked to him for about uh, 15 minutes, and uh, I asked another question. I asked him, um, well, how long do you believe racism has been going on? And he said, about 20 years. I said, interesting, 20 years? I said, well, I'm older than 20 years old, and I've known it to be at least as old as me. I said, well, how far back do you, I said, do you have any parents or grandparents who have ever talked to you about it? He said, yeah. I said, so it's at least as old as they are, right? He said, yeah. Um, but the conversation kind of continued down that path. I didn't want to get too deep into this young uh, man's life because I, I, I don't know what his um, life is at home. And But it was just a very concerning encounter for me. And I wanted to know from the hosts or the listeners, um, have they engaged any young people in this manner and what the responses are and were? And um, do you have any suggestions as to uh, go about um, engaging young people um, in better ways, more constructive ways? And I will meet my line. You can kind of... People can offer suggestions as they share as we go down the line. Uh, and then the people that have already shared, if you have a suggestion, you can add those in a little later on as well. Uh, what I would say is that I've unfortunately found that the confusion is widespread regardless of age uh, amongst non-white people. So uh, what I would say is just basics. I think when, when people say, oh, I think everyone can be racist, black people, white people, whatever it is, those types of responses, it gets right to definition. What's your definition of racism? And clearly, either you don't have one at all or your definition of racism is not precise. It's not accurate. And when you don't have a definition of racism, you just, I mean, we're not going to really be able to have an intelligent, coherent conversation on this. So uh, with those, just try to be patient and just start with some of those types of basics definition for racism what do we even mean when we use this term even if we have a definition what does that mean how do we apply that to the world that we live in and situations that we encounter on a personal level and beyond uh, and really making sure that that is understood and if you had and it sounds like you didn't do a bad job you said you all had a conversation that lasted I think you said about 15 minutes or so uh, if you all were able to converse and it wasn't, you know, rude and, and nasty, he was willing to talk to you. It sounds like you did a pretty good job because unfortunately, a lot of times uh, our conversations end up being very discourteous. So if you were able to maintain dialogue and ask questions, uh, he answered. It was polite. Great. Uh, if anything, you just think of, of different questions or more questions uh, that you can add on. Uh, next time through and uh, just looking at things that they're interested in. If I know it's a person, if they have a particular interest in a subject matter or a particular television interest or whatever it is, racism is going to be present in all areas. So if I find things that they're interested in, I really try to focus on that and pick out the racism in the areas that they're going to be focusing on anyway. Other folks we've not heard from, if you have a hand up, proceed.
James, can I be heard? Yes, sir. Uh, yes, I, I uh, was quite have been quite familiar with the uh, story. Uh, well, the article, not the story. The article on the uh, young non-white black female who uh, was shot to death by uh, enforcement officials. Uh, brief history, if anyone didn't know about the area that is called Miami Beach slash South Beach uh, directly, uh, at one point in time, not very long ago, uh, black people weren't even allowed to go to this area in South Florida unless you had a passport. I call it literally what it was phrased, a passport. Uh, you had to have a card to be able to go over to this place. And I believe the term is popularly used as sundown, uh, sundown city, a town or whatever. Well, that also uh, regarded to uh, this area. Uh, for the most part, people like my aunt, who passed away about uh, uh, four or five years ago, uh, she still had a copy of hers, so I so I know it's true because I've seen one of these documents uh, where she worked in uh, uh, maybe a hospital or some white person's house. Uh, primarily, that's what, of course, black people were doing that type of work in that area. Or you may have been a uh, world famous uh, non-white black entertainer, but you couldn't stay there. You had to go to the area that is better known as Overtown. Uh, some people mispronounce it Overton, but it's actually it's pronounced Overtown. And uh, but now, uh, because of uh, black people willing to spend their money there, regardless of what happened in the past, uh, they invite them, but they still are mistreated on a daily basis price gouging for different things, whether the hotel, uh, hotel fees or, or whether it's uh, restaurants or whatever. But anyway, they're there. And uh, somehow this young lady found herself there. Uh, they don't talk that much about the male occupant that was in the car. They got out just before she uh, reportedly uh, pressed her foot on the accelerator, which was the uh, final physical act that she was able to do in her life, her young life. Uh, what I view it as is, is all of the potential, uh, that she had, I can, I can sense the, the pain in the father's, uh, voice as he's talking disappointment. Uh, and, uh, I've heard a lot of things about what she may have ingested beforehand, but you never know, especially if it was some kind of narcotic, it may have affected her in a way that motivated her to do what she did. Uh, there are, there are some things that, uh, you, you and, and, and it goes back to what you do every day as far as warning, uh, warning us about uh, the dangers and which I certainly know about those dangers from a standpoint of, uh, of being a fireman and going on the calls with people who would have these different reactions to, uh, narcotics 
to where you actually be wrestling with them on the street in the middle of the night to try to get them to calm down. Uh, but, uh, yes, uh, there was another, oh, the, the article with the, uh, Miami Dolphins, uh, Miami Dolphins, uh, assistant coach, uh, there was a lot of VGQ, <laughs> uh, that, uh, with the, uh, non-white black female, uh, she was saying some things that made a lot of sense that gave me an idea that she had a level of understanding of the system of racist vice supremacy yet instilled. I also was hearing to where she was learning some, she was learning some things that she was not fully aware of about the dangers uh, that can occur based on what she was doing at the time. Uh, we should stay away from white people as much as we can. Uh, and, uh, hopefully she will learn that if she hasn't already understood that. And, uh, yes, uh, those are just some of my, my, uh, my thoughts. I don't have any, uh, combination. I've seen pictures of her. Uh, there's been a plenty of pictures that she has posted, I guess it's her, uh, VGQ to that. I don't have no combination on her one way or the other because I don't qualify to do so. Uh, I'm just another non-white victim of racist white supremacy, and that's not uh, not our place to uh, to judge uh, her and her uh, uh, life as far as those things are concerned. And that's all I have for right now. And uh, thanks for listening. Indeed. Uh, other folks who dialed in with a hand up, uh, line should be open. Proceed. Sir. Yes, sir. Thomas in New York. Good evening, Gus. Good evening to all the callers. Um, wanted to say, um, man, this is the second female to um, put one of these more prominent white high-level um, sporting officials out there. The, the first one was the lady who put out Sterling with the tape, and now this girl. So, I mean, uh, if that's the practice of black women in these tragic arrangements, get some footage so when that arrangement ends, you could at least expose them, you know. And um, I, I want to say, man, uh, NFL teams, and I, I was listening to um, some of the commentary about the mandating the guys to stand now, sort of like with the N- NBA, with the NBA did. You played the clip when Chris Jackson used to play, and then he um, became a Muslim. He refused to stand. And um, they changed the rule so the next season everyone had to stand during the National Anthem. However, they didn't have to um, put their hand over their heart or anything. I could see that happening. Um, I'm not sure if they're going to implement that midseason. But the uh, NFL teams are about some of the largest public uh, welfare recipients there is. Um, I mean, the tax dollars. Uh, Cowboys, $2.7 billion in junk bonds, tax breaks, and other um, municipal bonds for their stadium and practice facility. And they got that money from the state of Texas, Harris County, Arlington, Fort Worth, and Dallas. And even here in New York, um, the Giants and Jets playing MetLife Field, they got the money to build that from the state of New York, the state of New Jersey, because this field's in New Jersey, the city of East Rutherford. Uh, Bergen County, New Jersey, I mean, and New York City all, you know, pay for that stadium. 
um, with taxpayer money. So these players should have the right to express um, what's going on um, within the country. Also, these owners take big money from these um, Air Force, the Navy, the Marines, the Army, the Coast Guard for these patriotic ceremonies to start the game that um, I, I believe I read one, one, one owner had received up to $11 million over the last, I think, 10 years for these um, events. So um, I think that has a lot to do why, why they want to force these guys to stand and, uh, and of course, you know, switch this, the whole narrative behind that. Um, the black identity extremists, I, I would imagine that I'm one of them. And um, it's so vague. Um, anyone could be one, the way they word it. Um, and this it, is the digital ever um, version of COINTELPRO, even down to them um, constantly talking about Russia, 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 since um, Trump, I mean, Trump's been elected. And, I mean, that's the McCarthyism aspect, because now they're saying that Russia was um, putting out some propaganda on black websites, and that's what to turn to sway black people against Hillary. So I said, oh, they didn't go with this McCarthyism again. Um, they, they don't need wiretaps and things anymore. They have Twitter. I mean, people are going to post what they're doing, and, you know, they Facebook, and you're going to tag everyone you know. I mean, this is very sophisticated, the way they're doing this. And it, um, whatever you post, um, whatever you put on social media, they have the artificial intelligence that's, just looking at everything, checking every word you put there, everything in your background pictures, anything that red flags them, they're going to um, um, look into it. So um, expect the worst with that. Um, something I heard the lady, on the, the female call in Ohio, um, talking about some of the, the opioid drugs. So we got a um, paper in the hospital about some things. I'll read some of it to you. Um, they have the New Jersey Crime Lab has identified two new fentanyl analogs, acrofentanyl, it's acryl fentanyl, and tetrahydrofluorine fentanyl. Um, both of these can be absorbed through the skin and are considered highly dangerous. Um, they also have one, uh, a fentanyl, um, Thing they have here the, the, that's being absorbed into the pills, such as uh, hydrocortisone, Prococet, and Xanax. Um, it turns the pills yellow. They have um, a rapid-release Oxycontin that people are calling pink. Um, Car fentanyl, which has um, been laced in heroin, and that's uh, elephant tranquilizer. And then this one here totally blew my mind. Um, Lopa Lopamide, um, which is over-the-counter diarrheal medication, um, a.k.a. kaopeptate, Maalox, peptodiarrheal control. And these are all move opioid receptors, and um, they, people are using these to get high as well. Um, the last thing I wanted to say is when I first saw that um, BIE report, I went on um, YouTube to see who was talking about it. And instantly, um, one of the sites on there called The Black Authority, they had a very good dialogue on it. And um, the next day, when I went to um, back to that same video, YouTube flagged it. 
And um, it says the following content has been identified by the YouTuber community as um, inappropriate and offensive to some audiences. Um, these All this stuff is being tagged by artificial intelligence. It's not people doing it. So um, just wanted to let people know that, um, you know, they're watching everything. And they're really not doing it. I mean, they have their computers doing it for them, but... Um, you know, anything you do now, if this list is, is, is something that they're really going to look into, anyone's gonna, anyone could be on this list just for watching the video um, that they tagged. And I'll give you my line. Thank you, Gus. One thing I did want to get in quick, quickly on the black identity extremist, quote unquote, were two quick things. The first, my BFFs. Oh, uh, red flag. That would be a metaphor, I think. Uh, my BFF, Amy Goodman. They did mention the black identity extremist on Democracy Now! this week, but they mentioned it for about 40 seconds. Uh, and this is one of the things why I will point out with Democracy Now! They will talk about racism from time to time, sometimes quite a bit more than many other outlets. Uh, many people will say that they are quote-unquote left-leaning as though they support black people and are not racist. Nothing could be further from the truth. They did mention it, but they didn't spend a whole lot of time on it, unless I missed it if I... I mean, error, I will correct that, but it was very short. It was less than 60 seconds. Uh, they, if it's something happening to environment, oh man, we got to spend the whole hour uh, talking about that. That's where I said I really have a problem with all of the quote unquote environmental activism and what have you. Uh, if you're not going to treat people correctly, then we can't even get to, you know, whatever else that you're doing. Uh, it's, and it is a part of the same. And I think Dr. Marimba and he talked about that. Whites. They terrorize and are at war with black people, non-white people on the whole, and they terrorize and pollute, toxify the entire planet. Dr. Cambon mentioned that as well. Uh, other folks that we've not heard from at all, if you have uh, commentary. Yes, sir. Excuse me, can I be heard? Yes, sir. Uh, greetings to you, uh, Gus. Um, greetings to uh, everyone, Thomas, Red, um, everyone who spoke. Uh, great clips this evening thank you very much um i just want to thank you for this um program as well i appreciate you and i appreciate the show and everyone who calls in um i wanted to start with the clip you played about drake um uh being asked to do more about the murder of his friend it's the way white supremacy works it, it it's the conditioning is so thorough it, there's always this public assertion and assumption in the media and by law enforcement that anytime a black person knows someone who's a murder victim, that they have some insight to what happened just because they're black. Um, Drake is not a guy. He's a, he's an artist. He travels the world. He performs, he goes all over the place and does things. He's not a street guy hanging out locally in the area in which this person was killed. And he's, and even coming up, he wasn't a street guy. He was a, like a, I believe he did some acting. He was always performing. He got into performing quite young. So this is not a guy who has any connections like that. Um, so it doesn't make any sense to me outside of the fact of it being racism, white supremacy, and them using him or racially showcasing him, I would say, um, in order to make it look like he has some information that he wouldn't have. Uh, that just doesn't make sense. I know that in a lot of cases, just me being from the street myself, that in certain situations when, when a person is street connected and dies or gets murdered, um, those people who are in the street will know things simply because 
the streets just will carry that information. No one tells the police, but people know what happened versus someone who doesn't have any sort of connection to anything like that, like Drake. And um, for them to showcase him in that way, I find it to be really just tacky, trashy, and t- trifling because he can't mourn the loss of his friend. He has to focus on trying to defend himself, or at least they're going to try and um, put, put make that his focus by um, showcasing him in such a uh, derogatory way. Um, the clip about the Black identity extremists, um, they had said something to the effect of Black identity extremists being a violent group fighting police brutality or um, retaliating for or about in regards to uh, police brutality. I think that in this case, this this is also a, a process like Thomas was talking about them making it mandatory in football uh, or him thinking that that's going to be the next stage, which I, I agree with him, for them to make it mandatory for the players to stand for the national anthem. I think this is the, the other side of how white supremacy is, is, is working to uh, demonize Colin Kaepernick's protests against police brutality. Now there's this fictional black identity extremist group that, that they're basically calling uh, black white supremacists. And this, I believe, is to obfuscate the attention off of white, white supremacist terrorists that have been going around shooting up places, shooting up buildings, um, shooting up people at concerts, all of that stuff. In order to divert attention from that, they have to now put black people at the forefront. And this is a new way of doing it. Um, this group of black supremacists that they're talking about is fictional. It doesn't exist. There's no such thing as a black supremacist in the system of white supremacy. So again, this creates further confusion um, for victims of white supremacy, just in trying to understand what's happening and what's, what's being done to them through this type of propaganda. And they said, um, I was going to say the only group with a violent background and ideology are white supremacist movements. There, there weren't black, black movements that had overtly violent motives. They had, concepts of self-protection when being violated. Um, but as far as them having violent uh, ideologies that had them setting up sleeper cells and shooting up groups of people and blowing up buildings, none of that's ever happened. So again, it's just obfuscation off of the white supremacists to focus on black people so that the white supremacists could continue doing what they're doing, I think, unabated. Um, the clip about Chris Foster with the um, black female that he was dating, I agree with the uh, firefighter in Florida. I have no opinion on her um, being in a tragic relationship with him. Uh, VGQ, like he said, I agree completely with that. But I also think that um, in this scenario, this is a great way that uh, tragic arrangement can be used as a counter-racist tool. Um, I think it's great that she started to get a better understanding of the system of white supremacy and decided to um, use this relationship as a counter-racist tool in order to expose and educate non-white victims of white supremacy about the way the system works and just speak out in truth to the system of white supremacy. I think she did a a great job of that. Um, I think that it reminds me of when uh, Dr. Ben had talked about during the time that Mussolini was invading Ethiopia and they had uh, invaded the area that he was from, which is Gandhar, Ethiopia. And he talked about uh, some of the, the women um, in, in different parts of Africa during the invasions of white people. Uh, some of our women would actually allow themselves to get in sexual relationships with the enemy to kill them. And they would kill them while in sexual embrace at times. And he discussed that to me, this is a similar thing. It's just, um, she's exposing him 
and putting that information out there. And I, just the way, the way everything went with him being on film and still being able to retire versus, um, let's say, um, Mayor Marion Barry, um, who was on camera and look at what they did with his life. So um, the, just the juxtaposition of white supremacy and how it works where these people can be on camera and just get away with whatever they do and be allowed to have a life where they can still do what they want to do and what they like to do is just incredible, but it's the way the system works. Um, him sniffing coke off of a black female's body, I find to be the most gross and disgusting form of objectification. Um, coming up during the crack era, I heard of police um, officers sniffing coke off their dashboards, sniffing coke off their shotguns, sniffing coke off their nightsticks, sniffing coke off a prostitute, prostitute's thighs. So this is just the objectification of the black female in a way to make her a physical object rather than a human being. Um, I hope she's elevated past that sort of behavior and, and, and improves further on her understanding of white supremacy. I found that the thing you discussed about body clocks to be quite fascinating. Um, a, there's a great book called The Metunetter by Volume 1 by Ra Unifari Man, where he really gets into the cycles of the body so that you have a better understanding of how the body works at different times of the year, the changes that you go through in circadian rhythm. Um, and it also incorporates meditation. So it will, it can help you. Uh, Gus, I know you said you've had trouble with that. It can help you as far as getting your body clock back into cycle. Um, if, if that, you know, that that's something that you're interested in. Also, when you were talking about protection from EMPs, uh, you can also use, there's um, actual uh, stones you can use in your home, around your office. You can even create what, the, what are known as crystal grids, which can protect entire spaces if it's an apartment or home from EMPs throughout the house. The stones that you can use are black tourmaline. I use them, I carry them, I keep one up when I work. I put one between me and my computer to absorb the EMPs that are coming from my computer. So um, black tourmaline is one, it's spelled T-O-U-R-M-A-L-I-N-E, black tourmaline. The other stone is shungite and that's S-H-U-N-G-I-T-E. And then there's another one called organ, which is a combination of different uh, EMP radiation absorbing stones that are placed in the shapes of obelisks or um, pyramids that you can use to create what's known as crystal grids and those grids will cover an entire area as far as protecting your home and your loved ones from uh, EMP radiation, whether it's from microwaves, refrigerators, computers, you name it. Um, that's it. I, I don't want to talk long. I, don't, I think I might have overrun my time. Thank you. I'll mute my line. Indeed. I forgot the other point I wanted to bring up about black identity extremists. Thanks, Roz. It wasn't just if you were involved. I know when they were talking about Pro, we've done many programs on that. Uh, K- Kenneth O'Reilly uh, was on multiple times. His book, uh, Racial Matters, the FBI Secret File on Black America from 1960 to 1972. But a major point that he makes in his book is that it was systematic the FBI's program and that it wasn't just Dr. King or the Black Panther Party or Minister Malcolm X or the Nation of Islam. It was any black person. If you went to a meeting uh, just to hear what somebody was going to say, that would be enough to have you followed. If you had a phone conversation, anything, you bought a a Fruit of Islam newspaper, uh, the Muhammad Speaks newspaper, that would be enough. Uh, it would be anything. You didn't have to be an activist. You didn't have to be out protesting, what have you. And certainly the same thing would apply now. Uh, just to keep that in mind, uh, John Patash's book, uh, The FBI's War on Tupac Shakur and Black Americans, great material as well. He's been a repeat guest on the program also. Uh, other folks that we've not heard from, if you have commentary, if you would like to participate, again, the number 641 
7153640 and the code 564943pound. Press star six if you would like to, star six one, star six one if you would like to participate. Other folks who have a hand up that we have not heard from, if you have commentary, proceed. Can I be heard? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, greetings to you, the hosts, the callers, the listeners. This is Mhandisi. I wanted to first say to the African Union and the Africans, again, we need help. We need immediate help. We need help worldwide with the problem of these white creatures, these ice albinos. They are our absolute enemy. We do not want to negotiate with them. They do not need to be on our land. They must leave our land. And the other thing I wanted to say is this whole process is taking way too long as far as dealing with what we're calling white supremacy and these um, ice albino white people. It's taken way, way too long. It's taken much longer than necessary um, because I, I'm telling you the um, the math is so that you know, this stuff, could, it could, there's, there's, there's a way that it could be done in one day. There's a way that it could be done in one year. There's a way that it could, like, you can just pick a time frame and then say exactly, okay, this is what the behavior would have to be in order for us to deal with this problem within that time frame that we set. You know, it's just, it's taken much, much longer than necessary, many generations, and that's crazy. Um, and then the other thing, I would say is um, just oh oh with the B F what is that B I E um, thing B black identity extremist um, I don't know if if this has anything to do with uh, the B I E but uh, I um, my lady friend had uh, we were going somewhere and she said I was taking her to bum f in Egypt I was like you know, you know what are you what are you talking about I never heard that a particular phrasing and she you know, you know explained it meant um in the middle of nowhere or something like that um and then she uh, told her daughter not to say the term and that you know she had to say bfe and then when they uh, came out with this acronym bie uh i know there's a whole lot of consideration of when they why they're choosing that particular acronym but you know i, I just wonder if there's anything if there's anything to do with that uh the other thing is um Norm Stamper, uh, ice albino law enforcement, came to my city uh, this past week and uh, spoke with, I guess, the community or a small group of people. And uh, a, a black man had been murdered recently, but uh, he was actually scheduled to come out before the black man was murdered. That was also um, earlier this week. Black man was murdered by um, ice albino law enforcement. Um, but one thing that was, if anything, was interesting about, you know, his and um, this white guy coming, um, Norm Stamper uh, coming, uh, it was that he said that, you know, I asked a question about the BIE or black identity extremists. And Norm Stamper was just basically saying that um, it's a made up term, or at least it seems to be a made up um, concept. But even but him saying that. It didn't solve racism at all <laughs> you know it, what, what ended up happening was um the two black officers who 
we're also speaking on behalf of all the white people and, you know, or speaking on behalf of the, excuse me, the, the police department and, and explaining why the police have to do all these killing of black people and all that sort of thing. The two black officers, one of the black officers um, was saying, he said, um, uh, at the end of the, the whole uh, thing, and I didn't get to record that last piece, but he said that uh, Umar Johnson, and well, Dr. Umar Johnson, but he said, Umar Johnson said that uh, there's uh, the, all the white, all the good white people stand behind the, wait, no, all the bad white people stand behind the good white people. And then the, uh, the police officer, the black guy, he said, you know, and I used to um, have that same concept. Um, and, and, uh, and that, and that's what made his, he was saying, that's what made his career so hard. But then um, uh, he changed his, um, his, his uh, way of thinking. And now he sees that there are good white people. And that Norm Stamper is a is a good example of a good white person. And he smiled and, you know, kind of rocked back and forth, you know, like this is he really believed this, whatever he was saying or something. But but, you know, it was I think he said that specifically to address the black identity extremist concept, you know, to basically I think the black guy was addressing saying his statement basically to say, oh, yeah, there are black identity extremists. And even I almost got to be one. But, you know, I changed my mind and y'all should do the same thing. There's good white people. Um, and then the uh, last few things I, I would just say is that I think that if we attack Christianity in full force, that would be a way to speed this thing up. 30 seconds. Um, yes. And if you attack Christianity, that gets rid of um, Islam, you know, whether people believe in it or not. And then uh, the last thing is I'm not trying to change people's minds. I'm trying to change the environment to get this done quicker. Thank you. Appreciate that. Thanks for the audio for Mr. Stamper as well. Wow. Uh, the other folks that we've not heard from at all, uh, people that we've not heard from at all, if you have a hand up, proceed. Bobby, you heard? I heard both of you. Let's get Big Victim in Alabama first. Sure. Thank you um, for all the victims. Um, I, Eminem dropped a freestyle this week on um, BET. Um, I wanted to guess anybody had any opinions on it. I think it was just some, it, I don't know, I just just some more racist. I just consider him a racist now. Um, I finished reading the nine-part series on Arugal. It has, um, I think that was the cherry on top of my kind of racist um, technique. It was very insightful. Um, also, I like to give an update on my uh, friends I shared about two weeks ago. Uh, uh, her situation with uh, on her job. Uh, she's on the line. If you want to share, victim, go ahead. If not, do you want to share? Well, I 
I'll go ahead since since you don't want to share, I'll go ahead and and uh, the problem um the the guy that she was into Gus um uh, and she had a problem with um he got into it with uh another coworker, a white guy, and he filed a complaint against him and he might be out the door. So I just want to uh, update, give you an update on that. Thank you for letting me share. The I'm just trying to, I was a little bit confused about the last portion. Um, is this, I thought at first when you started, when you were saying the victim that was going to give us the update, I thought this might have been the black female who was having the problem where it was another coworker where maybe they had some sort of disagreement and then she thought he might try to retaliate and share some of, you know, her thoughts on racism with some of the white people who work there. Is this the same person or am I confused? You are, you are correct. Okay. She's on the line, but I think she's, she's shy. She don't want to talk. No problem. No problem. I can we understand. Are, we, are, we are, I got her on call, conference call. Okay. But you correct. Okay. So, Something happened where, what was it again? Because I was trying to connect that with what you said and I was having problems. She, he, he, he got into it with a, a with a white coworker. Okay, okay. He threatened, he threatened, he threatened to kill him. Wow. And, um, so, so the, um, white coworker went and filed a complaint of against course, him. Of course, of course. And... <laughs> Could be fired. So he could the, be in, it, in greater confinement. That I mean, that's serious. That he obviously it, does not listen to workplace racism. Thursdays, eight p.m. Eastern, five p.m. Pacific. But it sounds like her problem might be resolved, which is what we said. I don't think you. I think that was what we told her. I don't. I don't think she needed to do anything uh, because there was nothing that he could do. And then turns. Oh man, that's that's. I mean, that's nothing to be you know pleased about. But I mean, yeah, it sounds like her problem he has got much bigger problems than you know trying to mess around with her and with this situation he's not going to have any ability to to try to come and say anything about you know another black person and their views on white people so it sounds like yeah her her problem with that has been taken care of exactly exactly Mm, terrible terrible workplace racism thursday 8 p.m eastern 5 p.m pacific I said it this past week, you got to make sure you do not get upset. Uh, Things will happen on the job. You cannot get to a point where you get angry uh, and just allow your emotions uh, to become really inflamed and you just say anything. Man, he could end up in greater confinement. I guess, you know, if if she is so uh, if she. Uh, if it doesn't take up too much time, I'll put it that way. If it doesn't take up too much of her time and energy, or if she's so inclined that she wants to give us an update about what happens, uh, that's fine. If not, that's fine too. But I, I could easily see that being beyond just whether he gets terminated. That could, you know, be major. Uh, the person, the male that spoke up simultaneously, uh, did you have commentary you were going to share also? Yes. Can I be heard? Yes, sir. Greetings to the listeners and the callers. Um, hope everyone rightly poor. Uh, this is in regard. Oops. Sorry about that. Relationship sir. story. Can you oh, okay. start over again, sir? My apologies. Sure. 
Um, I'm, I want to talk about the story in Jacksonville, Florida, about the signs about the interracial couples. Um, I'm familiar with the Jacksonville area, and in the Jacksonville area, there are a lot of interracial couples. I would say upwards, I would say at least 25% of young black males are dating white women uh, in Jacksonville. I would consider it an epidemic. It, it doesn't look like it's going to slow down. Um, black females are also engaging in a number of interracial relationships, much more than what the media would like to put on. Um, and for that sign to show up, I'm not surprised because this is a city has a statue of Andrew Jackson, you know, down in the most, one of the most common areas. So um, despite all these relationships, Jacksonville is one of the most notorious, notoriously racist cities, uh, most death row inmates in the world, uh, in the county that Jacksonville occupies, despite all these relationships. So, you know, once again, what is the benefit of all these interracial relationships? Uh, I cannot know for the life of me. Um, also, uh, this is on another side, this is about Bitcoin. Uh, there's a story out about the Bitcoin market. Um, Bitcoin currently has more money than Goldman Sachs, the bank company, you know, investment firm. Um, so that's pretty huge. Uh, if anyone is into investing, I suggest you take a look at Bitcoin. Uh, it's not going anywhere anytime soon. And the faster you get on it, the more money you can make. Um, the circadian rhythm health clocks, I found that interesting because uh, that's not really a new science. That's actually something that um, can be found in various cultures around the world. But of course, uh, with white people, unless it's been verified through them, they don't like to believe it. So uh, they believe they have the absolute authority on what is considered knowledge and scientific. So despite the fact that that's not an old science, um, unless it's been verified through their eyes, it's not valid. And I'll, I'll mute my line. Other folks that we've not heard from, I, one thing that I will say my observation consistently over years, generally when people talk about quote unquote interracial relationships, sexual intercourse between black people and white people, my observation has been people tend to overestimate, especially when statistics come out on it, people tend to drastically overestimate. And I would say that's been the trend almost without fail, uh, particularly when it's black males and white women. The trend is that people way overestimate how much of that activity is going on uh, in terms of they might see three, four couples and it, that will be extrapolated to 70 percent of the town is overrun with black males and white women. And at worldwide, that's doesn't matter geographically where it is, doesn't seem to matter time period. That just seems to be the trend the pattern. Other folks we've not heard from at all, if you have a hand up, proceed. Hello? Yes, sir. Uh, hello, this is Demetrius uh, calling from uh, Lake Mary, Florida. Um, 
I just I'm gonna comment on the uh, piggyback off the previous statements uh, about uh, the gentleman saying he has seen black and white couples, uh, and um, <laughs> I gotta say that it's I, there might be some truth to that because I, I have some friends. I, I'm from Jacksonville, by the way, and uh, and I have some friends. I mean, that I went to college with. I mean, you know, we went to school in the Jacksonville area, and I mean, these are black males, and I mean, yeah, they're hooking up with these white females. And I just saw another friend today, and I, I was looking at his Facebook profile, and he's dating a white female too, apparently. I mean, so yeah, so <laughs> I thought that was interesting that he made that comment. Um, and he and my friend that I the profile that I saw, he, he's from Jacksonville too, so so that was interesting. Um, I want to comment on the Eminem thing really quick. Um, I, I remember uh, Neely Fuller was talking about how uh, the white supremacists position themselves on every on 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 both sides of every single issue and so when i see eminem attacking someone like trump i mean it just kind of reminds me of what neely fuller said uh about white supremacists taking sides on issues that they always ensure they take both sides at all times and uh and i thought it was interesting that eminem would even uh say those things about trump because I mean, with all these uh, black people being attacked by law and uh, race soldiers, uh, I, I find it interesting that Eminem didn't use his public platform to, to come out earlier and speak up on that. So, and I had, I had always wondered why someone who's involved in the hip hop community and who has such a large voice like Eminem had not spoken up on those types of issues. So I thought that was interesting that Eminem would choose this this period of time to uh, to finally uh, come out of the shadows and start speaking up on political issues. Um, and and finally, uh, I think I want to I want to I think I'll end this on uh, making some comments about Puerto Rico if I can. Um, I don't know if you've ever uh, if you've had a chance to give any commentary on Puerto Rico, but. Uh, I, 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 I was just curious to know if you had an opinion on the situation with Puerto Rico and, and, and more specifically why uh, their sister island, the Virgin Islands, are, seem to be almost ignored um, and seems like all the attention is going on Puerto Rico. And so uh, because I know a lot of Puerto Ricans do classify themselves as white. And so I, I have to say that as an individual, I just – it's kind of hard for me to to kind of show any kind of sympathy for them. I mean, you know, if if, if they do see themselves as white, and so um, so I think that's that's all I have to say. But yeah, if you if you have any commentary or any opinion on Puerto Rico, or if anyone does uh, with regard to the Virgin Islands as well, uh, I mean, it's, I, I wouldn't mind hearing it. So I guess I'll end it with that. Appreciate that, sir. The metaphor, I have heard a lot of metaphors, cherry on top, piggyback, come out of the shadows, lots of metaphors. I uh, just started writing them down so I could make one general uh, prompt. If we could be mindful of that for this program, much obliged. Uh, my comment about okay. the situation in Puerto Rico, uh, as I understand it with the litany of storms that have taken place uh, over the past several weeks, months, uh, that there are lots of areas, some even within the continental United States, where 
black people have not gotten help uh, that they need. Uh, that's been my understanding. People in Houston, people that are right here, much less, you know, people in the Caribbean or what have you, whether it's Puerto Rico, the U.S. Virgin, Island, US Virgin Islands or wherever else it happens to be. Uh, that's my understanding, unless I'm in error. Uh, if Puerto Rico or wherever else it is, is not getting adequate assistance, that's the system of racism, white supremacy. I'm never surprised. I'm never stunned uh, about non-white people anywhere in the world not getting help. Uh, when they need it. Uh, as I understand it, I don't think Puerto Rico has got tons of help either. A lot of the attention that I've seen has just been the fact that they have not gotten that much help and then whatever nonsense President Trump said on Twitter. But my understanding is not that it's been, you know, outstanding and efficient uh, rescue mission in Puerto Rico or anywhere else in response to these storms. I understand it's been pretty, pretty bad even right here in the continental U.S., unless I'm misinformed. Uh, other folks, if they want to respond to that question or if you have your own commentary, people that we've not heard, you should proceed. You should go next. Anyone that we missed completely? May I be heard? Yes, sir. Uh, peace to Gus, the host. Peace to all the listeners. Peace to your families. This is V from Central New York. Uh, so happy to be with you today. Uh, very quickly, couple of comments um, to Thomas in New York, uh, who mentioned a video that he enjoyed on YouTube. And then when he went back to um, uh, possibly review that video, uh, it had been taken down. I would definitely encourage you or anybody else to utilize the various online YouTube downloaders uh, that you could copy uh, the location of the uh, video, plug it into the online downloader, and it'll actually uh, give you a downloadable link where you can then extract the video. YouTube is well known for doing this, so any really good video that you find, it is in your best interest um, to capture and to um, keep for your own records. Uh, moving on, I just discovered, actually, the, um, the report by the FBI, which talked about the black identity extremists. And first and foremost, the public report is not very long. You can go online and you can actually um, read it. It's about 12 pages. I encourage everybody to read it. It is somewhat contradictory in many of its points, though it is very detailed in several others. So um, definitely go and read that. David, no! Um, no! Oh, Don't say sorry that. about that. Oh, no problem. <laughs> um, uh, continuing on, continuing on, I listened to a, a commentary uh, from, a, from a couple of white people on YouTube dealing with black identity extremists. And I was very intrigued that all of them seemed to come to the same conclusion that black nationalism and black nationalist thought was actually part of black identity extremism. And that was a real problem. Uh, I noted that because I don't, I've never heard of any black nationalist shooting any white person out of hatred, or, or not even just out of hatred, just, you know, as a retaliation for racism. So 
I found that very interesting. Um, my local police department is currently uh, advertising for new trainees, and on the posters that they are putting up across the town, they have the line, stand with us, in big letters, stand with us. And that, I believe, is telling. I don't know if anyone else is seeing um, ramped up police recruitment efforts, but uh, that is definitely something that has taken place here. Uh, a number of women have been added to the force, young women, and um, they have been really uh, put forward as the face of the department. Uh, very few black people have uh, of note. And uh, two quick comments. Um, in a, I, I have noted that in every black community over the last couple of years where there has been massive protests, it seems a year afterwards, or sometimes even a couple of years afterwards, the murder rate spikes and really goes up. Um, Baltimore, uh, St. Louis, just to name a few, and usually caught up in these murders are at least several activists that were at least um, prominent when the protests were going on. So I think that's something that we might want to track. And the reason I think we want to track this is because Blackstone Rangers, I believe that was the name of the organization, uh, the gang, uh, which was used to kind of counteract the Black Panther Party, uh, that's something we need to always remember. And then finally, on the idea of Black and identity extremists, there are two really good volumes that goes into the COINTELPRO program. The first one is the COINTELPRO papers by Ward Churchill and Jim Vanderwall. And the second one is Agents of Repression by the same two men. Very detailed, very thorough uh, examinations of the programs which were exacted against not only black people, but uh, the American Indian movement, the New Left, and many other supposed radical organizations. Thank you very much, uh, Gus. Again, thank you for your work. Uh, I cannot underestimate the value of it, or excuse me, underestimate, I'm sorry, overstate the value of it. Uh, this is a real service uh, to the people. Thank you very much. Peace to you. Much obliged, much obliged. I suspect when race soldiers when they want to go out and give their roll call of black nationalists who've killed enforcement officials i suspect their list would probably be asada shakur on the terrorist list not that long ago uh micah johnson from last year i think they were calling him a black nationalist at the time of the shooting in dallas last july and then they might even toss uh colin ferguson on there previously mentioned uh, other folks that we missed completely uh do we have any callers that we have not heard from at all uh, can I have you heard? Yes, sir. Awesome. Um, this is uh, Ken Steele. I am in Chino, California. And um, I just wanted to um, uh, kind of remind um, fellow victims of racism. Um, you know, as events um, become more uh, intense and um, even more uh, deadly as we 
um, proceed in time. Um, there is, from what I've been able to observe, a strong propensity amongst us to embrace um, uh, escapist or even magical thinking. Uh, and this, I think, is rooted in um, the desire for uh, conspiracy theorists. I know last week, or conspiracy theories, I know last week I made mention of um, the fact that many victims of racism are uh, clinging to, um, I guess, thought and ideas that are put out by suspected racists um, uh, surrounding uh, some of the events uh, that are going on, including the um, attack that uh, was mounted against the people in uh, Las Vegas, I believe, two weeks ago. Um, I've just seen a number of, uh, uh, just a steady increase in the number of victims that are espousing um, very confused talking points, very um, confused-sounding uh, um, theories, uh, and it just seems to be uh, an embrace of uh, magical thinking, fake news, conspiracy theory, whatever you want to call it, it's just not rooted in truth or fact. And a number of victims, when uh, called out and, you know, said, hey, you know, I'll say, or other victims will point out to them, hey, I think you need to fact check, or hey, I think you're posting fake news. They'll say, hey, what's the problem with this? What, you know, I'm just having fun. You know, this is just, you know, um, uh, this is this is just entertainment. And, you know, I have to caution, I may, be, um, uh, I may be speaking to people on this line that uh, already understand this, but uh, victims as a whole, um, fake, what they call fake news, what they call propaganda, what they call incorrect information, misleading information, these were all tools that are used by racists to confuse non-white people and to ultimately get us killed um the black panthers as previously mentioned were victims of this sort of uh, disinformation the civil rights organization um uh i believe there was an armed um deacons movement uh that was infiltrated by the fbi so they're using this false information and people who are willing to spread false information to harm us and to ultimately kill us. And then also, I'd like to say that um, I, I recently attended uh, um, the premiere of a movie, uh, I believe it's called 1804, The Hidden History of Haiti. It's made by uh, a victim of racism named Teresa Sheed. I saw this documentary. It was very well done. Um, the, the crowd that attended was, was beautiful and, um, and the energy was, was very positive. I will say, however, that events like that and any event that, uh, there's a large gathering of people and it may be politically motivated, um, gives me pause and makes me incredibly nervous. And I'll say that for the first 30 minutes of the movie, very intense 
um, presentation, by the way. Um, I, I was definitely checking my periphery, and um, and I, I was just uh, very nervous and very mindful of any um, any strange behavior. And I think, unfortunately, because of the um, times that we're in, anytime you're at a large gathering, you, you have to make uh, note of all of the exits, um, uh, all of the um, safety personnel on hand, and any sort of escape routes that you may take or any sort of um, uh, cause or action. So, yeah, uh, great documentary. When it comes out on DVD, check it out. And if you do have it available in your city, um, I, I suggest you um, uh, take a look at it. it. Again, it was just a, a really um, a beautiful presentation. Um, thank you, and I will go ahead and mute my line. Appreciate that. Right on for supporting Mr. Nasheed's work. Uh, other folks that we missed completely. Anybody that we have not heard from at all. Can I be heard? Yes, sir. Yes, thank you very much, sir. Uh, greetings to Gus, the host, the listeners and callers. If I could speak on the uh, the uh, Eminem rap verse, like I think that was uh, strategic to... Um, Mainly, I guess, uh, uh, add to his uh, arrogance and to market possibly any music projects he may happen to be coming up with, and primarily as well to cause uh, a bunch of intense conflict between, uh, like, maybe some of his black fans. I mean, like black fans and um, uh, black people who are suspicious of them, and and maybe like other uh, groups of victims. So you know, you got a bunch of uh, those different groups of black people. They're gonna pretty much start calling each other names. At least that's been my experience, uh, standing back watching it, and the name calling has gotten really uh, vicious. Um, so you know, I think they they know how to set up those type of arrangements, and it usually ends up with us uh, pretty much um, practicing, I guess, or engaging in uh, anti-blackness. But as far as the the uh, other audio clips, the I believe that was the the two I think he said middle school students that were throwing the rocks at the the school bus for the. Uh, think of the black football players like it was interesting he was saying like oh you know it's, it's only just these two students but this is just very disappointing um once again you know that that effort to try to minimize uh the problem of racism and saying that it's just well it's just two and it's just this many um but you know they had to, they had to have been indoctrinated you know uh, with that white codification to behave that way. Uh, and I also wanted to um, make notice of, there was in there was a, a school up in Detroit, I think, like in the Michigan area. It's called Plymouth High School. There were these uh, two uh, black students, but I, I noticed they had a black parent and a white parent. And in the clip, the white parent wasn't saying too much, but you know, it was an incident where um, 
the two brothers, one name was Caleb, and he was being called like a nigger or whatever when he, um, I guess, defeated a group of white teenagers in a game of basketball. And, uh, you know, the, the uh, white kid was mad at him. So he said, uh, oh, that's that's not right. You know, you didn't win. And uh, he went up and, you know, got in his face or whatever. So he pushed him away. And, you know, the white kid called him a nigger. So he uh, got back in his face and punched him. And he said he balled his fist up, but he didn't defend himself. So this kid that attacked him, he got suspended for three days. Okay, so he came back to school, and uh, Kayla's brother, the kid who got punched, he um, apparently seen the same uh, white kid in the lunchroom, and he asked him to move uh, because I guess he wanted to play a video game or something. And he says, uh, no, I'm not moving anywhere, and he called him a nigger again. So, uh, And they said, they both of the brothers said that they tried to report this to the the uh, faculty and the people in the report were saying that it was just, you know, no concern. They were indifferent, of course, you know, uh, disinterest uh, to be expected. But interesting enough was that the uh, the, the kid, Caleb, he said that they were um, riding on a bus, I guess, for a football camp. And I don't know if anybody's heard of this. Uh, there is a, I guess he was talking about like a hot spot, I guess maybe for Wi-Fi. And it, he was making it sound like it was voice activated. And apparently these students, I'm assuming that these were white students, they they had set the password up for say nigger. So they were trying to get him to say the password. And he was like, come on, Caleb, say the password. And, you know, he wouldn't say it, so he was getting upset. And he was like, all of this stuff was happening. You know, like, hey, say the password or I'm going to say it. So, you know, they're just trying to, well, not trying to, but just, you know, terrorizing them in all kinds of sophisticated ways. Uh, and once again, the they were saying that the teachers wouldn't do anything about it. Um, but, yeah, that was a, 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 a report that I had uh, looked up this week. Um, and just one last thing, that's supposed to be like a little Nazi march on the campus in the next couple of days. So, you know, I'm going to definitely be keeping my eye on that. Uh, and that's all I have for now. Thanks for allowing me to share. Racial focal pointing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Always in play. Uh, if Do we have any folks that we missed completely? Any folks who had a hand up that we didn't get to hear from at all? Have you heard? Yes, sir. Yes, good evening, Gus. This is um, uh, Dread138. Uh, I just had a quick question. Have Have you ever um, covered a, a report by a Ronald G. Fryer, Jr., uh, discussing the uh, the supposed bias in, in um, police shootings? It came out, like, last year. No, sir. I, I don't really uh, study police shootings of black people. That is not an area that I study. Okay. Okay. No, it's, it's, yeah, I bring it up because, uh, like I said, I was just part of my um, uh, an exper- well, my um, experiment. I've been in a dialogue with the uh, suspected racist, 
and he he brought it up to me. And Mr. Fryer is a um, is I what I suspect would be um, classified as black. And the the the, the, the uh, it's actually classified as a working paper in my in my um, study of it. And it was um, it, it indicates that there's no bias in, in police in police shooters in, in the in the last in the, in the in the recent incidents. There's no bias indicated. Now I was just curious if, it, if you might have covered it in, in one of your compensatory uh, shows in the past. I want to um, do some more research on it. Oh, yeah, that's uh, I I don't I'm not familiar with uh, that name specifically. And I've said before about the police shootings, I've already come to a conclusion about that. Uh, he says that there's no quote unquote bias. Uh, I've just come to the conclusion that as long as a system of white supremacy exists, uh, enforcement officers, they serve to support, reinforce that system of white supremacy. So I expect these shootings to continue and everything else. Uh, the charges of enforcement officials sexually terrorizing black people, Daniel Holtzclaw and, and all of the other misconduct, quote unquote, that they are reported to be engaging in worldwide, not just in the United States. I expect all of that to continue happening. That's the conclusion that I've come to. And it's not a whole lot that can be done to mitigate that as long as the system exists. So I don't spend a whole lot of time arguing and debating about that particular subject matter. Um, other folks that did we miss anybody, anybody that had a hand up that we missed completely? I assume we got everybody. Uh, any last comment folks needed to get in before we get ready to wrap things up? Any any final comment folks wanted to get in before we conclude? Can I say something? For sure. Um, yeah, um, to the guy who asked about reaching out to the youth, uh, you always do that through hip-hop. Um, that, that, always, that conversation encompasses everything. And then um, yeah, what I've learned is I'm able to... Um, then start the dialogue of other conversations through that. Um, Jacksonville, if that's the if those numbers are true, then uh, when the Civil War starts, that's going to be the first city to go. Um, the Eminem freestyle, it was good. However, um, it promoted white saviorism. I didn't like the visual. I wish he didn't do it on BET. That's why I don't look at it as genuine. However, um, if all these white corporations and brands who make money off of um, black people, and in his case, well, being that a rapper is a brand, um, he makes money in black culture, then therefore this is the conversation they should be having uh, with white people. And um, that that I do look forward to. However, the way he did it, it did look very suspicious. And uh, uh, last thing I want to say is I'm not sure if Drake is black. I heard Rod say that. Um, does Canada have the one drop rule, Gus? White people would make the decision about whether or not He's classified as black. Unless I'm in there. Was that all you were going to get in, Thompson, New York? Absolutely, guys. Thank you. Right on. Uh, let's see. Was there anything else? Checking my list as well to make sure. Oh, with the... Did I hear that correctly? The caller that touched on that was, was there like conflict between black people who were pleased about what Eminem had to say and black people who were not, I guess, impressed with what he had to say. Was there conflict between the two sides or did that I did not hear that accurately? Yes, sir. Can I be heard? Yes, sir. Yes. Um, my observation of that was there was a, uh, like a 
Facebook post that a black male put up, and I think what he was going into a bunch of military metaphors and saying uh, terms like allies and whatnot, and like some of the well, a lot of the comments were, you know, calling them uh, a uh, quote unquote coon and a um, you know bootlicker and stuff like that, and then he was saying that people are. Uh, what do you, what you call, I guess, too woke and they need to go to sleep, like a bunch of abstractions. And it was just like a bunch of argument, like uh, arguing um, back and forth. And, and there was some um, white people getting into the comments, like adding on to it, um, like somewhat infiltrating and instigating more conflict between black people. So very uh, um, destructive uh, interaction between black people, at least from my observation. Can I be heard? Yes, sir. You got about 30 seconds. Awesome. Um, real quick before, uh, we, um, mm-hmm. depart, just wanted to say, stay, uh, you know, err on the side of blocking, you know, if somebody's on your Facebook page and is trying to instigate conflict or, is spreading a bunch of false information on your news feed or um, is just causing trouble for you on the internet, uh, feel free to hit the block button. Also, be very comfortable deleting any posts that may be detracting from conversations that you're having, trying to have with uh, um, fellow victims of racism. And that's just, uh, you know, a suggestion from my end. Thank you so much. Great commentary as well. It's supposed to be for your benefit. Uh, People should not be able to pluck your nerves or in any way take away from your time and energy with social media activity. So absolutely use your block buttons, your mute buttons, or even minimize the amount of time that you spend on it if you're finding it to be non-constructive. I know Dr. Cambon would say you can delete the whole account. Uh, with that, uh, we will be here tomorrow for the Global Sunday Talk on Racism, 3 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Central, 12 noon Pacific, early time. Looking forward to hearing uh, some of our non-white people from different parts of the world, uh, what they have. Well, number one, it's Black History Month in England. So just to hear what sort of <laughs> how whites are clowning for October uh, over in England. Uh, in addition to, they had a big report that came out this week. Uh, Prime Minister Theresa May was talking about racism in all areas of activity. They had this audit and all this rubbish about how they're going to you know, deal with these problems. I'm looking forward to hearing their thoughts on this because this was like big news uh, in England for the week. But that's tomorrow. Pam, the legend, will be back with us this coming Wednesday. I think that's the 18th. Wednesday, the uh, yeah, the 18th, this coming Wednesday, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. Uh, she was supposed to be on with us right towards the end of the summer, uh, but I had my back problems and just suffered all the way out pretty much through uh, the beginning of the month. But now that I am better, she should be here on Wednesday. Looking forward to having her back with us, get an update on some of her thoughts on what's been transpiring since we last spoke with her. seems like it's been a long, long time since she's been on, but that'll be uh, this coming Wednesday. Uh, If you have questions, problems, guest suggestions, if you can't find something in the archives, drop an email, untiljustice at gmail.com, untiljustice at gmail.com and I will make an effort to get in touch with you as soon as possible. Uh, Thanks for all the folks uh, who participated, listened in this evening. I hope it was 
worthy of your time and energy. We have too many problems to be wasting time. Uh, I will reiterate, I think retired firefighter mentioned it already. Sobriety would be best under conditions of white supremacy. Whites have no regard for our lives anyway. They are killing us actively all the time. They certainly will take the opportunity to say, oh, this Negro was under the influence or we think they were drunk or crazed or on all kinds of drugs. So we had to shoot them, you know, an additional 50 times. They will use any excuse. We want to be able to use our brain computer to maximum capacity to crank out solutions to the problem. Racist man, racist woman, racist child. I think Dr. Welsing and many other scholars that we esteem, I think they would certainly recommend and endorse black people being sobriety in our efforts to achieve universal woman, universal man. That's it. Creator, we ask that you help us remain patient with other black people, victims of white supremacy. We ask that you help us remain patient with ourselves. Remind us to demonstrate the highest levels of black self-respect at all times, in all places, each and every time we are in contact with another black person. It has been time replace white supremacy with justice immediately. Cal signing out. Thanks all for tuning in. Nigga, you so brainwashed. I'm a victim, Your brother. Problem. You're a victim. Yeah. I'm a victim of 400 years of conditioning. Shut up. The man has programmed my conditioning. Mm -hmm. Even my conditioning has been conditioned. Yeah.